When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the by lighting up, boy. From my friends, the star of the show. Oi, oi. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oy, this oy. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. One of the all-time favorite songs of our colleague, Myrna McGurk, who's no longer with us. And uh, on a morning like this where Sid is out in the Rockaways, you just came from the U.S. Open, and I just came back from Juve in Crown Heights and Flatbush. Oh, boy. Got a little, little secondhand smoke working? Let me tell you something. There was a cloud. First of all, the cloud there. Is not so much from the secondary smoke. That's to be expected. That's part of the uh, juve. All the young people were blazing away. Guys looking at dagger females. Cops everywhere. I mean, a massive army of cops. But people were already lighting up their barbecues. And they just have the smoke going. You have the jerk pork, the jerk chicken. So it's a cloud of smoke hanging over most areas. That has nothing to do with weed. There's plenty of weed being smoked. The weed shops are open, the illegal weed shops. But there's the smell of jerk pork, jerk chicken in the air, and people yelling, Hey, jerky boy Sliwa, you'll never be mayor. Oh, that's so nice to hear at like 3 o'clock in the morning, man. But it's, <laughs> I get to, the, the, the cops give them their distance though on this night, boy. They they let them get away with. A, they let the community do what the community is going to do. Well, they get triple overtime. They're happy. Yeah, They're all clumped totally. together. There's like twenty cops together. None of them wearing hats. Nobody. I I don't know. I, I don't understand this. You graduate. You wear a blue cap on your head. 
the old cops always wore their cap. That's how you got to identify them at a distance in a crowd. Something happened along the way where they basically get to be John Travolta, style and profile, guys and gals, and they don't wear their hats. And to be honest with you, if it's a crowd situation and people are mixing in a crowd, I'm not talking about a fight or anything like that, but a crowd situation, sometimes somebody passes out, you know, you need an emergency service vehicle in there. It is very difficult to identify cops from the civilians who are in the area. Well, somewhere about 15, 20 years ago, the philosophy of the NYPD changed about, like, not being different from the community, kind of blending in so they let guys dress a lot more casually. Here's the thing. Also, at any parade, there's so much police. And then when you take kind of the big parades, and this is one of them, and one of these big nights, I wonder if there are any police in the rest of the city, because if you look at the bars – they're from all over the city that they come to patrol. If I'm a, if I'm a criminal, the best time to be doing your crimes anywhere but at the at the parade is during these parades because they come in. But you're right because a lot of them are wearing their community affairs basically t-shirts. No one wears their full uniform anymore. No, and uh, it, to me, it would be like uh, obviously in a small way we're nowhere in comparison to the guardian. I mean to the police. But the guardian angels, the way you identify them in a crowd is the red beret. You don't identify them by the red sateen jacket or the shirt. You identify them by the red beret. It just, when we hit Juve, and Juve is what they do overnight, you have three days of festivals. You basically, you start on Saturday. They have a lot of activities for young children and young adults, cultural, to learn about the history of their islands, where they came from in the West Indies. Then on Sunday, you have more activities for the adults during the day. And then you have the parade on Monday. But this thing of Juve that goes all night long and covers such a massive area, basically goes from Canarsie all the way up to Easton Parkway and even north of there into Bushwick. And you say, wait a second, why why this? The amount of money that is necessary to amass police it's just outrageous, particularly at a time where the resources are being depleted. We got the migrant issue. We got so many other issues. There's no more stimulus money. You would say, hey, you know, let's forget the overnight because older people are not there. I mean, this is really younger people running around. All right, they're having a good time, but a lot of times things get out of control. And uh, every time I'm there, after a while, you have uh, young women scantily clad. I mean, really scantily clad. And guys come up behind them and dagger them. Dagger them right there in the well, street. Well, actually, I mean, look, when you consider how many people are gathering, how many people are sauced up and how many people, there's a lot of, as you said, a lot of marijuana involved. It's basically, I mean, it, the, the the amount of crime that goes on is not that much. I mean, one argument can be made. Basically say, look, like like you do. Let's take a step back. I don't, they, they don't really do heavy enforcement. I mean, one of the things that they do during on the parade is they make it very hard to move around. If you're on one side of Eastern Parkway, your opportunities to get to the other side of Eastern Parkway are really limited. But I, I kind of agree with you. It's basically a gigantic street fair. And they also, I don't know if they do it anymore. They used to throw paint and oil like that. You know, yeah, throw paint that, that's happening about now from about 5 to 6.37, then it ends. You know where Parkside and Flatbush is, the lower right. end. They all congregate there, and they'll walk a few blocks, and then they'll take that oily stuff. And that is traditional in a lot of the West Indian islands. And then they'll start dancing, and they'll gyrate. 
and they'll have this black, thick oil that some of the men and some of the women douse themselves with. That I get. I, I totally understand that. That's organized. That's that's not like random. It's in a specific area with a specific goal. And by 7 o'clock, it's over. People go home. The older people go to the parade starting at 11. You were in many parades. You notice uh, the politicians are right at the beginning. They whisk through. They don't want to hang around after 2 o'clock. Yeah. Because after 2 o'clock, the young people wake up. They go to the parade. But early on, it, between like noon and 2, there's no one on the route yet. No. It's basically very. And then like almost like a switch goes off in the afternoon. Everyone gets up, heads out to the parade. I remember like the history of the parade. If my, I actually don't remember the history, but I believe it's. Uh, the tradition of rebellion against colonization is what Jouvet was about. Um, but it's it's generally a pretty – look, as many people as there are, as it, it does have a kind of a, a feel of being kind of lawless. But in fact, it's generally – you know, you get a couple of stabbings. I mean, normal tell us tomorrow there's been six stabbings or something like that. Or, you know, like it, it does happen, but probably not as much as we think. And overall, it's a great parade. But you I, know, I love uh, that parade. I was looking for the drones the big issue here, drones. They're going to have drones up. Now, I heard what they call the ghetto birds, which are the helicopters. That's the NYPD helicopters. During the parade itself, during the daylight hours, generally towards the latter part of the afternoon when you have these extraordinarily large 18-wheel tractor trailers uh, carrying boom boxes the size of maybe a building. And they're playing the music of their particular island, and it's really pulsating. And the young people are surrounding the 18-wheel tractor trailer. Sometimes some fights will break out, and as soon as the fights break out, the helicopters, which will hover on, uh, on top of the parade, way up high with a lot of the TV uh, helicopters because they're getting yeah. films of the crowd, will then come treetop. So they'll come down to the treetops, and then the helicopter blades are going around. The wind is gusting up, and the young people just run in different directions. And then they go back up. So they call those ghetto birds. The ghetto birds are coming down. Right, just to make a lot of noise, basically. Right, but drones. I did not see any drones. Remember, there was a lot of promotion what's of the, drones. What's the beef about the drones? Who cares? Right, should they want to use drones to monitor crowds? I don't care. I mean, is there a civil liberties concern? What's the beef about well, it? Well, the ACL and New York Civil Liberties Union, uh, Legal Aid, and some others said it was a violation of people's rights to assemble uh, peacefully. They're having, uh, let's say, uh, a picnic, a barbecue, and all of a sudden over you is a drone. His cameras so cameras are so omnipresent. If the police want to use that to keep an eye on things and react to things, I, I don't think it's you know the, the thing is it's kind of a substitute. You know, I hear the the mayor makes a big deal about it. It's not policing. I mean, you know, if if, if someone gets mugged underneath a drone, their chance of them getting caught is is no better. If someone's going to shoplift outside a drone. There's no better instance of of them getting caught. I think it's a little bit of a gimmick. Well, the honest. first ones to use drones were the red Chinese. Uh, there are 15 different messages that these drones have. By the way, all in English. You know, pretty soon, you were in the city council when they made laws that everything had to be in 38 different languages, Urdu, right. Yiddish, right. you know, to satisfy everyone. Right now, apparently, there are 15 messages. So if a drone is hovering above a crowd, the drone will actually, by its handler, be dropped to a lower position and will blare out a message. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here, the way cops used to speak. Uh, but essentially, at night, 
And I don't know if they were operating at night. I was looking up in the sky because you can see a drone because generally, lights, yeah. yeah, little red light is on. I didn't see any drones. Like I said, I heard the helicopters. I didn't see the helicopters. But I noticed the synergy of it. A week ago, uh, the mayor was in Israel looking at their drone technology. Clearly, he's interested in purchasing some of that because he said, well, they do it better than us. And they really do because limited resource, they have to cover a lot of area. Well, I mean, but in fairness, drone drone warfare, every time you turn around, another story coming out from Ukraine is a drone. Now they're using cardboard drones. Drones is a military thing. Drones is something to, to look at people. Look, I, get your mind around this. We're being monitored at all times anyway. I mean, basically every, every crime that's committed, there's nine street corner cameras that are taking pictures of it. So the idea is that we're, we're looking at it overhead. It's, it's just it's so gimmicky, though. This is the, the little bit of the problem. I mean, Adams loves these kind of cutesy, gimmicky kind of things. Well, I don't you really... know, what I'm worried about is he's over there in Israel. He's uh, touching base with the people in uh, high-tech area. I've actually visited that area outside of uh, between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. It's a massive area. You look at it and you say, oh, my God. Oh, like around, around, around Herzliya, places oh, like man, that. Oh, man, it yeah. goes for like blocks and blocks, miles and miles. These are large buildings. It's all high-tech. So he went there and he saw a demonstration. And I worry every time Eric Adams wants a new toy uh, for whatever agency it is, you know there's going to be a contract. You know he's going to be contracting some Israeli firm to get some drones over We already have drones. Do you know in de Blasio's time, they wanted to use drones in the summer of George Floyd 2020. Uh, they wanted to use the, uh, the horses uh, with the cops on it. Uh, he wouldn't allow them to do that, to do crowd control, because, you know, a guy or a gal on a horse can see in a lot of directions. Also, if a horse goes rushing into a crowd, guess what? The crowd disperses. So de Blasio said no horses, no police officers on horses, and no drones. For instance, we just recently had that influencer who came down from Atlanta and created created that flash mob. He promised, I'm giving away PlayStations. Meanwhile, he gave away Ugats, nothing. He's driving to an SUV, not one PlayStation. And the kids came out of the subways. These are kids. We're talking 13 to 18 years old. They came from everywhere. They then start, they're upset. There's no PlayStation. They start battling each other. They battle the cops. They're busting up stuff. Then when they finally disperse, they went down Broadway, all the way down to the battery, busting up stuff along the way. That would have been the perfect time to pull out the drones and follow the different crowds. Because the youngsters are pretty astute, pretty cogent. They would have seen the drone up there, and they would have dispersed. I don't know if they would have dispersed, but one thing you could, I said this at the time. I would have published all the pictures of those kids. Just let the parents know where their kids were, kind of like we did on January 6th, where every frame was like of a bunch of kids. But I, I, I guess so. But you know, you say that they get new toys all the time. It's really just the police department. The police department has tanks. The police department has helicopters. All kinds of new fans. So they, they have such a big budget. They're constantly experimenting. Plus, it's the largest civil police force are they, I think, in the are world. They, are they bulletproof? Because uh, dance hall reggae, when they raise their guns in the air and they cap off shots. Actually, well, well, yeah. What do you think, Justin? The over the point spread of <laughs> one of the guys out there looking at a drone that's staring at him with that red light blinking and just decides, give me my nine. Bang, bang, <laughs> bang. Target, target shooting. Well, i got to tell you a story about a drone with me. For a while, I was doing commercials for Major World out in Queens on Queens Boulevard. So it was me, it was the Naked Cowboy, and it was the biggest Latino DJ at La Mega. So there the three of us were in the lot at that time. There was like dozens and dozens of cars. 
So they want to film us from overhead. So they have a guy with a drone. And the drone comes down, and I have to give my last lines looking right into the drone. No problem, except the drone attacked me. The guy lost control. <laughs> I, I kid you not. The drone attacked me, clipped me right in the, the side of the neck. I thought it might have gotten my jugular. It pulled back, and then it attacked me again. I hit it once. Down it went. The guy who was operating the drone, this Hispanic guy, he got down on his hands and knees. He's crying, my drone, my drone. So I'm bleeding profusely. No. Yeah, profusely. And so everybody there goes, oh, we got to get you to Jamaica Hospital. I said, ah, a few butterflies. They won't need stitches. So I got a compress on my neck. I'm bleeding out. I take the train. I had to do New York One. That was at the time I did New York One. Guess who was in the green room waiting to be interviewed? He was at the top of all the Republicans running for the presidency at that time, briefly before Trump, Dr. Ben Carson, who oh. I'd known from Detroit. So did I he, said, did he patch you up? Yeah, I said, Doc, can you take a look? So I, I take the compress off. He looks at it and he goes, look, you've been through worse. You'll be fine. Just put the compress back on. I said, you know, traditionally I would have just put a little spit in my hand and put the spit there to take away any of the bacteria. So I knocked out the drone, but the drone almost cut my jugular, the vein. That would have been, that way that been it. You know, when you said I've got a story with a drone, I thought you were going to start talking about Ron Kuby. I didn't realize. No, 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 no. That whose mommy is a commie there. <laughs> but when we come back. We got to talk about uh, you. Uh, you returned. The prodigal son returned to the U.S. Open. I hate oh, yeah. the U.S. Open. I'm not a big, well. I'll tell the story. I'm not crazy about it either. I got a U.S. Open story for you because I really hate tennis. I hate golf. But Anthony, tell me you didn't sell out and go there and get a microscopic piece of quiche for thirty-eight dollars and fifty cents. Bunch of rich white people playing with fuzzy balls. I don't know. And tell us if you were smelling that marijuana. That has been reported that some of the players on the side courts, Louis Armstrong Stadium, were objecting because they were saying, man, it's like I smell weed. I smell weed everywhere. In honor of David Dinkins, probably the one thing we can attribute to David Dinkins, his love of tennis, he built up the U.S. Open to, as Anthony will acknowledge, the number one cash cow event each year, bringing money, desperately needed money into the treasury, but it was up to me. I say, oofa, right here on your place to be. Sid Rosenberg away today. He'll be back tomorrow. It's Anthony Weiner and yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. Man, I'm back from Juve, and I smell, I smell like Snoop Doggy Dog's living room here from all the reefer. <laughs> yeah. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see.
The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. It's our theme song. Just the two of us substituting for Sid Rosenberg. Sid Rosenberg, who um, I could easily see him at the U.S. Open, you know, in that Joseph Abood outfit of his. Pink sport jacket. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he would love it because, obviously, he'd be with all the Trendoids, Freakazoids, Jet Setters. But say it ain't so... uh, you actually broke down and went to the U.S. Open. Come on. Went yesterday. My friend Steve and his daughter, Summer, me and Jordan went. You know, it's my birthday today, so they took me oh, for my birthday. Oh, your birthday. How Thank old you. are you? I am 59 years old. 59? Yeah, Isn't am... that what shit is? 59, Actu- right? I think he's 50. I think he's three years younger than me. But, you know, he and I have very similar geographic and whatever lives. I went to Brooklyn Tech. He went to some fancy school. Yeah, you're both Jewish kids. He exactly. was a booker boy for a while there. Well, he went to poly prep day exactly. school. I mean, he's much more obsessed with being Italian than I well, am. Let me but... ask you a question. What kind of Jewish guys go to poly prep day school? Nobody that I ever knew. I don't really. What is the deal with is is poly? Isn't poly prep? Yeah, poly prep is secular. It's ri- secular. I know, but it's rich. It's- Oh, it's not super a cheap school. Rich. Oh my God! That's why your friend Arthur Idell right. yeah. and Joe Tacopina, they got what they call a mom scholarship. Put the kids through school, yeah. then they go to college. We put them through law school, so we have them on retainer right away. They owe us that every time we get locked up, they're going to show up at Central Booking and they're going to represent us in arraignment. That's that's the deal. That's how they got. Well, it. Our, our Arthur represented me for you know, but Brooklyn Tech. Who do we have? John Katzmatis. Oh, you got a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah, but well, you also we, have... we, we do very yeah we did very well, but largely two reasons. One is very big school. That's one reason. Brooklyn Tech is enormous. So it's like five thousand kids, and then also because it it's one of the specialized schools. Like we kind of you know lost Braun Science and Stuyvesant. You know these are good schools. Now I yeah, but I, you also had Jumani Williams. Who's a public advocate? You also had <laughs> that's not. Is he in our our Hall of Fame? Jumani Williams. We can do better. Yeah, than I'm that. giving you that's, everybody. It's a little bit of a. I'm drop giving you from... everybody. And then the man, he's a man now, but at the time he was a young uh, adult. 
who's responsible for Bill de Blasio becoming mayor of the city of oh, New York. Son. Yeah. Dante. Yeah. Dante went to Brooklyn Tech. That's right. That's right. So you see, you dropped out because you imploded. You would have been a much better mayor. You no, were not at, I didn't drop out of Brooklyn Tech. Unlike you, who like you know scrolled through high schools and elementary schools and summer camps, you couldn't stay put in any one place. I never had a graduation because there was no such thing as a moving on up ceremony, which is ridiculous. I had to go for all three of my sons, Anthony Carter and Hunter. Uh, Basically, I went from elementary school to junior high school, and then I went to high school, Brooklyn Prep. They kicked me out of my senior year, so I never had a graduation. Never. Yeah. Because I left uh, junior high school in, uh, I was in a, a three-year SP, 7th, 8th, and then I went to Catholic high school. So I never had a graduation. So I was in an SP program, too. Was it good? It, it was a disaster for me. I was a scrawny little kid. I went. It was because it was a time in New York City when they were trying to keep middle-class families like mine, you know, in the, in the public school system. So they said, all right, it's lousy. But we'll let you skip a grade. Let me you, tell you, you something. In the SP, if you wanted to find all the Jewish kids uh, in the school, they were all in SP. Exactly. The two-year SP. This is before they had magnet schools and stuff. Yeah, like but that. the two-year SP, oh, those were the brightest. They would jump a year. Yeah, they no, that's what I did. I went from seven. I was in, in William Alexander Junior High School, 51. We went from seventh to ninth. Yeah, oh, seventh to ninth. I was in the three-year SP. What does that mean? That meant you can do a normal three, seventh, eighth, ninth. Oh, you didn't get anything fancy from that. Come on. I mean, look. This explains a lot. You, I, you probably have been going through life. You know, I'm fancy. You, you, you had the oh, same. When I you did the seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, and everyone Listen, did. back then in the 60s, so that's before your time. Uh, public school in many ways was superior to parochial school because right. parochial school, uh, when I left St. Matthew's, uh, which is right there where I passed today on uh, Eastern Parkway and Utica Avenue, I uh, left it in the fourth grade because the mother superior called my mother up, Francesca, and my mother was having kittens. She was nervous. Why, why is the mother superior of the school wanting to see me? So we went up there, and the mother superior said, look, Curtis needs to go to public school. Wow. You know, that was like, what? I went to public school. Yeah. Parochial school's better. He said, no, no, there's 40 kids in a class. So we have our excelled kids. We have our kids who are like halfway. And then we have our kids who are slow. But they're all in the same class. He'll go to public school and they'll put him in the advanced class, which then was alphabetical. You went from A to F. All my cousins were in F. Now we call them special ed. <laughs> I call them brain dead, all the Supreme Cousines. I was in 4A. First day in, the Jewish kids, all of them, there was 30 Jewish kids, one Dutch reform, the last of Peter Stuyvesant and me, the Gentile. And everyone was having the New York Times delivered in homeroom. And they are reading it above the fold, under the fold. First uh, period is current events. And it's like Horshack, you know, in uh, Welcome Back, Carter. They were, ooh, 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 ooh. I looked at Beth White, who is the Dutch reform. I said, Beth, why are they all raising their hands? Because they know the answer. I said, the teacher didn't even ask the questions yet. But this is what happened. So it started out for years and years. The public schools had a big advantage over the parochial schools because people like my mom, you know, when you're a woman of a certain age at that time, you could be a secretary, a nurse or a teacher. Those are your only real options. So my mom with a master's degree in finance. She became she became a math teacher. So the public schools had these amazing teachers. Now, nowadays, they scroll in and out. They're there for a couple of years, and they leave. It's not such a great thing. And and the, the, the parochial schools, then when the city started to have their financial crisis, then the parochial schools have been the, the best place to be. They had better discipline. They, they That was when the Catholic Church was swimming in money, so they had better facilities. Like I lived across the street from, um, from St. Saviors in Park Slope. And now it's kind of 
neither one of them is that great. The, the, the archdiocese has closed up a ton of schools, which I never think they should have done. The public schools, they don't have the Ferran Wieners of the world anymore going and teaching there. They've got these kids who come in, they teach for a couple of years, and no one gets any kind of seniority. So neither one of them is that good. But the crazy thing is, I have the same memory that you do. They used to break us up. Our classes would be basically how smart they thought you were. Yep. So 5A would meant you were the smartest fifth grade exactly. kid. So if you showed up the first week of school and you're in, you're in 5C, it's like it's so now they don't say they don't do that anymore. And this is one of, if to be honest, you can argue this both ways. I think it's a mistake. You always, I think you want to have kids of like ability in the classes. Of course, of course. I think the teachers prefer that. I think it's ultimately better than the kids. But we went through this period of like we were so so touchy-feely about everyone's emotions that we didn't want to say to any kid, okay, you're a three rather than a one. And so they mixed everyone together, and I don't think anyone benefited You're from absolutely that. right. I, oh, your mother was a math teacher. The only song I actually liked that the parrot heads used to dig of Jimmy Buffett, because, you know, to me, he was like the epitome of the beach. He only had one song, didn't he? Math sucks. <laughs> I don't know that They one. wanted to ban that. <laughs> Yeah, because I forget who it was who took him on. He said, hey, kids are going to hear that song. I hated math. I was lousy in math. So if there's only one song of Jimmy Buffett that I would listen to, because I didn't like his other songs, it just wasn't my style. Math sucks. Really. You're, so your mother was so, a math So teacher. here's the thing. Fran Wiener, she taught at IS-88, and then she taught at, uh, at Midwood High School. When I was running for office, now I'm 59 today, but when I was running for office, I was a little bit younger. I would run into people all the time on the subways who had my mom for math. And she was a great teacher. I remember when I almost failed out my second year in high school because of math, I had to go tail between my legs to ask her for help. You know, no one in high school. Oh, she was your tutor? Yeah, I hated to do it. It, you know, ate me up because, you know, no one wants to ask their mom for help. Anyway, so I got to see what a great teacher she was. And now she teaches... She helps out Jordan once a week with his math. Anyway, people would come up to me on the subways, and they'd say, I had Mrs. Wiener for math, mm. and I would get ready for them to be to take it out. And they would never say she was nice. They'd say she was tough as whatever. And no one had, no one was impo- – she was one of those teachers that we all remember from our youth, this kind of really stern, tough, and take-no-nonsense kind of thing. And that's why when, when we started changing the rules that made it harder to discipline students, the – Suspend them. Well, let me ask you a question. You mentioned Midwood. That's where I had to go to take my two SAT tests, which I thought stood for Saturday tests because you took them on Saturday. So there it is. I'm in Brooklyn Prep. My mom gives me two sharpened number two pencils and two Hershey chocolate bars for energy. She said, eat this. It'll give you (laughs) energy to get through. What was your SAT score? Do you remember that, uh, Anthony? It was not great. That was when it was on a... Like a sixteen hundred was the most. Now it's different now, right, right. and I think I had like eleven fifty. I, I wasn't great. I wasn't a great student. Yeah, well, wait I was a kind of a let, me, let me tell you something. You're the guy your mentor claimed to have a yeah, perfect he SAT said perfect, score. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Spitzer claimed to have a perfect SAT score, sixteen hundred, which is eight hundred in math and right, eight hundred right. in English and reading. You can't find that out. You you would as soon find Barack Obama's birth certificate, which is difficult to find anybody's birth certificate, than to prove someone's SAT score. Oh, that's SAT an interesting score. point. You're well, right. Well, you know me. I yeah. tried to on the radio. <laughs> I didn't believe me. Schumer had a 1600, Spitzer 1600. You know what I had combined? Yeah. Take a guess of what I had combined because my math score was so horrible. Well, uh, 1200. No. 828. That's terrible. 
combined. That is terrible. The yeah. math just dropped through the floor. So they gave me a chance to take it again. Right. Midwood. I blame it on Midwood High School. I said, Mom, it's a public high school. I'm not used to that. <laughs> I'm not used to that. She said, did you eat your chocolate Hershey bars for energy? I said, Mom, I, I, math is just not good. I mean, math, I was horrible. Initially, when it's just addition and subtraction, I handled it. But then they start. They start moving up. Yeah. What What did your mother specialize in? And, and she She well, when she was at Midwood, that that was a good school, right? So I think she did the fancy, the statistics classes and the calculus classes and stuff like that. Oh, she would have been great for the New York Yankees, who do everything by analytics. Yeah. That's why they lose, lose, lose. Do everything by the numbers. I used to use as an excuse, because I didn't want to go to math class, I was so bad, that I had a fever in my foot. I would go to the nurse, Nurse Ratchet. Back then, they would do triage. It's not literally Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, it might as well have been Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> Every public school had a nurse. Right. I would go to the nurse, because I didn't want, I got nauseous going to the math class. I said, I got a fever in my foot. She goes, I never heard of that before. Yeah. Put the thermometer between my toes. I have a fever in my foot. Get out of here, she said. Get back to that bath class. Oh, it's miserable. No, so, you know, I, I, I mentioned I went to Brooklyn Tech. I missed getting into Stuyvesant by one point. And for middle-class Jewish parents like mine, going to Stuyvesant was the holy grail. Oh, wait a second. When we come back, i got to ask you, because you are you are the only person. People went to Brooklyn Tech were able to carry weapons like they were in the Warriors. I always envy T-square, the big T-square. And the compass, the sharpened compass compass. was a weapon. You could have jabbed somebody's eyeballs out. Anyway, when we return as we go down memory lane with Anthony Weiner, it's his birthday today. He's 59. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, I'm 69. So you see, I got 10 years on you, Anthony. And, man, I still I smell like Snoop Doggy Dogs. (laughs) Living room, man. The, the smell of reefer from there was a little reefer at the nice. U.S. Open yesterday. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to explain that to me. Cause lots of complaints about that. On this, your place to be. Sid Rosenberg at the beach today. He'll be back tomorrow. And it's Anthony Weiner and yours truly, Curtis Lee. We're set to take you to ten o'clock this morning, exclusively on WABC. I think of you sometime, and I want to spend some time with you. Just the two of us. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTanglist.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers, maybe bombers. Clearly injected some life into the Yankees this weekend with the Yanks marching into Houston and sweeping the Astros, complete with yesterday's 6-1 to shellacking in the series finale. Jason Dominguez, nicknamed, quote, the Martian by Yankee scouts, even before playing in the big league, continue to prove how he earned the nickname with a two-run jack last night. They'll put the Yanks ahead. The bombers will see if they can keep it going tomorrow night when they welcome the Detroit Tigers for a three-game set after an off day today. As for the Mets, they beat the visiting Seattle Mariners 6-3 to yesterday to claim two out of three 
three over the weekend. Pete Alonso went deep twice for his 40th and 41st dingers on the year. As the Mets now head to Washington next on tomorrow night to battle the Nationals. Tennis's U.S. Open continues today in Queens as fourth-round action for the men continues at 12.30 p.m. this afternoon. As for the women, fourth-round action for them proceeds this morning at 11 a.m. We're watching those Americans still in it. And college football, one last game to look forward to tonight. Uh, 8 p.m. kickoff, number 9, Clemson. They're 13-point favorites heading into Duke. Sports, sponsored by Pete Morgan of Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a deal in you, the world's best built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Yeah. I'm a big smell of weed was everywhere in Crown Heights and Flatbush hours ago when I was at Jouvet. Apparently, uh, you, uh, in your return to the U.S. Open. Not you, as a player. You smelled. You smelled the, the weed. Oh, yeah, a little bit. I, can I, I think this is the big political issue to be... I think that almost everyone in New York would agree with the, state, the statement... I agree that marijuana use should be decriminalized, but the way we have made it a, co- a commercial, out of control commercial thing, it was, has made the city untenable. Well, I mean, you're right. The weed stores were open all night. They were all illegal. We'll talk about that in the next hour. But there was, there was a little bit of that at, uh, I mean, you know what? They, they have tw- this $22 drink, this melon, this water, uh, Honeydew. No, you were right. Watered down, twenty-two dollars. Exactly, but it's like this honeydew thing that everyone was drinking. I'm not. I don't drink, but uh, everything's so expensive. You've heard the cliche complaints. The tennis was pretty good. Didn't have a, an amazing day. This this young woman, Coco Golf, is this big sensation now, and as a result. And this is, I think, a straight line result. A lot of younger African-American girls walking around the stadium. I don't know, you know, like, because they must have been inspired. This young kid, this guy Shelton played. He's a 20-year-old American kid that has a big social media following. The the matches were pretty good. And the facilities are fine. It's this big, it's a big, look, it's a big festival of rich white people. Yeah, I, I hate it. I hate it now as I did before. So I was forced to go there. At the OWABC, we had the vice president of the spoken word. That's what they talk, uh, vice president of talk radio. They said vice the president word? of the spoken word. That's Who the is new the term. vice president it's, of theater of the mind? Who's oh, that? That's me. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I coined that expression. But anyway, it was John McConnell, who was a tennis nut. And he insisted that I go with him, take the Long Island Railroad from Penn Station, where we used to be above on the 17th floor, two Penn Plaza, and head out there, he had tickets, he went, always go. And so we're up in the upper deck there, I believe it was the Arthur Ashe Stadium at that time, the large stadium. And, no, it's Armstrong. Uh, right. No, no, Armstrong, I think it was the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Had that been built already? I think so. It could, but you may be correct. Anyway, they have the Jumbotron, so occasionally they would pan the crowd, just like at a ballpark, and they would show a picture of somebody. Right. So Billie Jean King Moffitt, you know, queen of tennis, they have her there. Everybody gets up. They give her a standing ovation. She's on the jumbotron. Then after a, a few, uh, a few, and remember, you're not permitted to boo. You're not permitted to do anything like in golf. How ridiculous. You pay gazillions of dollars. So then the jumbotron focuses on me and my red beret and red sateen jacket. And the crowd starts booing because they know I hate tennis. <laughs> so I got up like Benito Mussolini. I put my mug out, and I looked at everybody with such derision. 
And then boo, boo. And I said, hey, McConnell, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. When a crowd like this boos me, the elite, the trend That's doors, not your room, baby. That's, that's not your it. room. I was out on the number seven train, the John Rocker Express, back to New York City, my place to be. Oh, God, I hated every second of the U.S. Open. Every second. But I acknowledge it's the big cash cow here in New York City. Up next, we're going to we're gonna take a cue from what you said. The reefer, the weed issue in New York City, which is on everybody's mind. 2,000 now illegal pop-up weed shops and only nine legal ones. You do the math on that. And remember, there's so much more we're going to discuss within the course of everything that takes us to the 10 o'clock hour. It's happy birthday day for Anthony Weiner. is 59. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, as we're in our place to be here, WABC. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays. News first at 59 past the hour. 77 WABC News. Start. Spectacular. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the evening by lighting up. Oi! To my friend, the star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi! This Oi! is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Go, 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 go show Birthday boy, Anthony Weiner, man who culturally appropriated my name, Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. Fitty Sand, uh, singing uh, happy birthday to you. It's uh, 59, the big 5'9", I got you by 10, I'm 6. Nine. And uh, I think Sid Rosenberg will be back tomorrow. He's 5'7", right? 57. I think he's three years younger. Yeah, I think he's 57. I think all right, right. All right. Puts us all within the same sweet spot. Uh, we're well. By the way, Curtis uh, Jackson, a.k.a. Fitty Cent. Uh, he's on the stage in L.A. It seems to be the, the thing for performers now to throw their microphone into the crowd. <laughs> Right, it's like it's like the thing. Either that, or the audience throws something at you up on the stage. There, and there was an act who threw the microphone. Was it Nicki Minaj? Someone threw yeah, the Nicki, microphone. Nicki Minaj and got was it Cardi B who and got sued? Right. What is that? How can you tell the difference between Cardi B and Nicki Minaj? Not, no, they're pretty much all the same. That's right? not. They, they don't all look the same to us, Curtis. Don't get us in trouble. Well, they got big booty. That's the one thing you know. I mean, I mean, and they're throwing microphones. They've gone for enhancement. That is not a natural backside. But anyway, microphones flying. So he's doing mic check after mic check. He's apparently on the stage in L.A. with another rapper. So the rapper's doing his thing. And it's time for Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent to chime in. He gets one mic, doesn't work. Second mic, doesn't work. Third mic, doesn't work. Throws it at his crew because he's upset. I've done that here. <laughs> As uh, Matt Meany, our <laughs> program director, knows. Uh, lots of headphones we've gone through because of you, Curtis. That's right, Justin L. You get so frustrated, you just throw it. He throws it at his crew thinking they're going to catch it and bring him a new one. 
and he hits a female DJ of a rap station. So he's looking at a big lawsuit. Meantime, um, on the stage with him at some point is who that, who that, who that nation, you know, who's tatted up from his nose to his toes from New Orleans. And he gets into a beef with 50 Cent's body, 50 Cent bodyguard, and he goes storming off. And you talk about somebody who is blazing away, right? I ever tell you the time when he was number one. Why am I forgetting? Who are you talking about? Why am I vacillating on his name? Who that nation? Who that Lil nation? Wayne. Lil Wayne. Oh, Lil Wayne, yeah. So Lil Wayne is just finished doing an appearance at the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side. He's in the tour bus. They're going south on Broadway. And a female police officer in uniform, NYPD, with a big schnoz, is able to smell weed. This is when weed was illegal. Pulls the tour bus over. Naturally, everybody's blazing away. That was the big thing with Lil Wayne. And they check his uh, duffel bag, and he's got a fully loaded 9mm with a clip in it. So he goes to court. He gets seven months on Rikers. And they put him in Punk City Protective Custody. We're talking so much about Rikers for, you know, his own safety. They didn't uh, mix him with the general population. He writes his memoirs that gets published. People buy it. And he wrote that he was crying in Punk City, protective custody, because he thought, oh, I can't deal with it. All these big, bad, tough rappers, right? They're like Mama Luke's crying while he's in Punk City. You would have thought he was in the Bing, you know, solitary confinement. Oh, Punk City. You know what Punk City is? Protective it's, custody. Yeah, that's, that's, you know. That's not the hardest. That's not the hardest bit you can do. In well, if you're a there. snitch, they put you in there because they need information. Or uh, if you're a quote celebrity inmate, they put you in there because they can't afford to have anything bad happen to you because then it reflects poorly yeah. on the correctional officers. Although in Rikers Island now, it really wouldn't matter. <laughs> it's like, it is so out of control. But it causes me to digress. Before we talk about weed. And you believe it could be the number one linchpin issue in upcoming elections. There was, as Noam Laden indicated, the electric zoo gathering this weekend. It's every every weekend, the last yeah. weekend in August and September. And it's my kind of music, electronic dance music. So mostly young people. They bring in DJs from all over the world because Europe does it best. And it's really the DJ who is the focus. The DJ is on the stage. They put together a right. light show. The music is good. And the crowd is taking Molly and ecstasy and acid. I mean, it's being done openly. They don't right. do anything to stop it. So this Friday at Randall's Island, they canceled it because they said they had a supply chain issue. I guess they were going to blame Buttigieg for this. They couldn't finish building the stage, the primary yeah. stage. Sounded a little something uh, is weird because this this it just travels the country, right? Yes. So they have a crew that goes from place to place, like the circus goes Roadies, from take, road crew, right? goes from place to place, setting this thing up. And they came here and they what? They lost a truck. Well, they claim a supply chain issue. I know. I heard Noam say that, but what does that even mean in the context of a, of a of a show that moves from place to place? It's not like they buy fresh scaffolding every place they go. Or well, let's give, them, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, because that's not a business you know, no, uh, I, know. I don't know. You've never been a, a roadie for a band, right? I know, no, but 
if you're having this is not a small festival. This is like the thir- this is like Lollapalooza used to be. This yeah. is a big festival. So the uh, something did something doesn't add up about why they couldn't pull this thing together. Okay, so on day number two, it's not weather related because sometimes they've had uh, it's a beautiful, downpours, it's a beautiful, right? it's a beautiful weekend. Uh, so they open up late instead of uh, letting the crowd in at one because they go to the break of dawn. Uh, they let them in at three, so people are grumbling. They've come from all over the country. Right. Can you imagine the migrants who were housed on Randall's Island over by the uh, soccer pitches, you know, that they took over and put the tent up, coming outside of their tent? <laughs> look at these scantily clad women, right, who are Molly in ecstasy, gyrating to electronic dance music, probably saying, we've arrived in Nirvana. Because remember, many of the countries they come from, they're not permitted to look at a woman who's exposed her arm. Who are you talking? What do you? What North do, Africans. What, from, what, I know the. There's like a handful of North Africans. These people oh, coming no, from Venezuela. It's not a handful. Of, there's plenty of skin in North oh, Africa. Oh my God! North Africans. They're Muslims. They're not permitted to see a woman. No, no. But I mean, okay. All right. So anyway, so these people come out and they see this show going. First of all, where are the the migrants? Aren't on Randall's Island now? Are yeah, they? they are. The tent is up. It's on the what? Uh, the soccer field. Because I was out there. I'm embarrassed to say this. I was out there for Poker Fest. Pokemon. They oh have this God. big festival oh. out there, and so I went out because I take my bike rides. I bike ro- I bike rode back from there, and I took some pictures because Jordan was out of town. Yeah, he was looking mom. for the Pokemon card. Whatever right? it is, whatever it is. Yeah, no, no Hunter, my my youngest son is into go. No, this Pokemon Go the thing you play on your phone. So it's this fest this festival they get together. What hundreds of people looking at their phones yeah, on that, Randall's Island. That's my Island. youngest son. Yeah, but it was so they 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 set up this so this concert happens that happens all across the country. They have seven, they have fifty or sixty different sites. They come here and they can't set it up because of supply chain. Then they don't let people. Well, they in. blame booty shape. By the way, I don't know if you go to these festivals. What's the appeal of sixty thousand people all jammed together? I don't. Well, I just, it's I don't the know. recreation of what happened in 1969. You'll never forget that, even though I don't even think you were birthed. Uh, the Miracle Met, 69, right? Uh, the first uh, man to walk on the moon. And Woodstock. It was like right. the middle of August. Yeah. Three days. Uh, hippies rolling in the in mud. In the mud. <laughs> right. I mean, downpours. Some of the greatest groups of all time performing. And they're always trying to recreate it. They never can quite recreate Woodstock, a half a million strong. And is that what Burning Man is like, or is that a different well, thing? Well, let's finish with Randall's Island, because so now Sunday is the final day yesterday, and as you heard in Noam Layden's report, they were overbooked. So they sold tickets, and, you know, there's a certain capacity. You can't have any more at the festival. So they just bum-rushed the place. They just broke down the fence. These are white kids, Right. He said, not inner city kids. We can't blame this on inner well, city kids. It wasn't there, wasn't there some hip hop going on at this festival? Or is I don't it believe entirely so. Electronica? I think it was entirely electronic dance music. So it's a privileged white kids who had yeah. enough and decided to bum rush the fence. Cops are there, NYPD cops. Yeah, yeah. They rolled right over them. What a disaster. Now, you go out west to Nevada. I am a believer in uh, climate change and global warming, as you are. I think we're the only two here at WABC. Uh, So at the start of the Burning Man gathering, they have it every year in August in Nevada, north of Reno, the armpit of Reno. You never want to be in Reno. It is the worst place other than Butte, Montana, with a lead smelting plant. You don't want to be in Reno. So you go north, and you're in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. And they have this Burning Man gathering, which you have to be really wealthy, uber wealthy. It's mostly all white people. It's impossible to get there, right? 
uh, impossible. Yeah, under normal conditions, it's dry, scorpions are out, cactus. You know, it's the desert. <laughs> Those are the good days. My wife loves that. She loves camping in the desert. She went to... Uh, she went to Mojave Desert and camped out there. She's into that thing. Yeah. And a lot of white, a lot of white privileged youth who are into that thing. You got to bring a tent. You got to bring a bicycle. You know, this is like you got to bring some shrooms, right? You got you're, you're commuting <laughs> with nature. You got to bring your own supplies. So at the start of it, there are climate uh, protesters who are saying, "How can you be from Mother Earth if you're coming out with these gas guzzlers? You know, these big four wheel drives." How dare you? They're blocking the road. I don't know if you saw the video. Some of the sheriffs were pulling yeah, guns. There's one, no, I mean, one guy. The hell one, was this that? One, this one guy went hog wild, these drove people, over the mall. These, these yeah. people would not hurt a fly. You know, they're practicing civil disobedience, right. nonviolent resistance. Blocking the highway, right? He's poking the gun right in their face. Yeah. This guy was all roided up. Yeah. And he's still a cop. So anyway, they arrest them. So they go to have their festival. The, the, the end of it, I think, is tonight. They burn a man, a facsimile of a man, a huge man. It's like really hedonistic. So it's a big bonfire. Yeah, right. it's really hedonistic. And so it's been raining cats and dogs. Uh, hopefully I can say that. It's been raining cats and dogs because of global warming, climate change. It's normally very dry, normally has no precipitation. Right. And then even Chris Rock had to leave and walk six miles in the mud Somebody picked him up in the back of the truck. He did a video because you have no cell communication there. There's no communication at all. Wait now, a minute. There's got to be. Isn't it social media heaven no, there? No. There's no communication. So now they're talking about sending the National Guard in to rescue these privileged youth. I say leave them there. It's true. It's true. Leave and, them there. And no one was playing a cut from some guy says, this is mud. This is a different kind of mud. Yeah, it's the kind of mud when you get a, a downpour in the desert. That doesn't happen. By the way, I saw some video coming out of the strip in Las Vegas. I mean, the, the, pouring, pouring rain. And they have no infrastructure to no. deal with three inches of rain. You know no. what I'm saying? And the problem there is they have mole people. The homeless live in the tunnels. They've built these tunnels when they do have excessive rain, like in Los Angeles. Or oh, like these viaducts. Yeah, because yeah, you can't live outdoors in Las Vegas as a yeah. homeless person. You know, it's 120 degrees in the shade. Right, right. So they call them the mole people. So those waters swell up. They go racing through those tunnels, and that's it. It wipes everything out. They're not used to that, as you say. So people are saying, well, you know, this is the way Mother Earth is. You know, it changes from time to time. No, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> this is global warming, climate wrong. change. Something is so wrong. here are all these privileged white youth out there from Silicon Valley, right? And they're doing Molly, and they're doing ecstasy, just like Randall's Island, the electric zoo, and they're doing acid, heavy acid. This is a place that Aaron Rodgers, number eight, the quarterback for the New York Jets, would be if he wasn't in training camp. Yeah. He would be out there dropping acid. Like, he, re what, two months ago, he was in Denver for a conference. He, by the way, he was out at the Open last yesterday. Being oh, he was. He, he was, was at, out in the Open. Uh, he, he, was, he was at the U.S. Open. And you know who he was praising? Yes, I do. He was praising uh, Mr. Uh, Serbia there for not taking the vaccine. Yeah, who, who, what was his name again? The, 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 Jokovic. The, well, yeah, Jokovic for not taking the vaccine. Remember, he didn't take the vaccine. Right. Aaron so, you know, they say they have this show Hard Knocks on HBO, which following the Jets. And I'm a Jet fan. I hate Aaron Rodgers because of, no, I hate him. I just know what I know about him. I'm like, shut up about the anti-vaccine stuff. And this thing has promoted, Sid talks about this. It's hard not to like Aaron Rodgers. When you watch this, it's almost a vehicle to, to rehabilitate his reputation. 
And then he goes out to the U.S. Open, and he has nothing better to do than to tweet in support of anti-vaccine. Well, now let's look at this. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers, who came up with a fake, phony, fraudulent reason, said he had something, but it wasn't the vaccine, right? Yeah. But he is a superstar, so he gets away with it. Uh, Novak, they wouldn't let him play in the Australian Open. He or flew the U.S. Open. There, is right. the first U.S. Open he's been at a while. But he flew all the way to Australia, right, from Serbia. Then he had to fly yeah. all the way back. Kyrie Irving, how can we forget him? Eric Adams gave him a pass. Remember, he said, oh, Kyrie, he gets a pass. Right. But all of you civil servants, you know, who didn't get the vaccine, you're fired. You lose your pension. We're not even hiring you back. And you say, well, wait a second. If you're a superstar in sports, you get you get to overcome all that. If you're just a normal, yeah, average, I everyday got, person, you lose your freaking job. I got news for you. If you're fancy, if you got a lot of money, if you're a celebrity, yeah, the rules are different. Is that a news flash to you? Yes, it's, it's outrageous, but it's true. Yeah, but well, again, I go back because now we want to speed up the process for a work permit for the migrants who are not vaccinated. They got their kids going to school. By the way, no one, no one coming to the country has to prove they're vaccinated. So stop singling out the migrants. Uh, I understand, but you would think they've been here people, long enough. People over okay, who are getting off the planes right now at JFK aren't vaccinated. Oh, so make a big deal. That, do you like, realize the, the that 41 of them have been arrested at the Roosevelt Hotel and not one of them is vaccinated yet? They've been booked. They've been processed. They've been released for committing crimes uh, at the Roosevelt hey, Hotel. And not one of them is vaccinated. 107,000 people have, uh, of these migrants have come in. 40 as I wish we only had 40 crimes for every oh, well, people. You, you, you know, you look at a class totally full. Totally. I look at crack and empty and just draining us. So we got the 19,000 kids who go to school on Thursday, no vaccinations. We want to speed up the process so we can have. No, no, the 19,000 kids have to have the same vaccinations as other kids do. No, 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 no. It's far. No, the, the kids are no longer required to have the vaccine, but they do have to get the polio and the mumps and all the other things. No, no, they have none of that. No, no, you, the, the requirement, and like, well, we can check this, the requirement for kids in schools, wherever you're from, and by the way, you cannot be a kid in New York City and not go to school. That's not, so it doesn't matter if you're a migrant, if you're the, 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 uh, a prince, it doesn't matter if you're the son or daughter of the, uh, of the, of the mayor of the city of New York. If you're in the school system, there are certain requirements Andy, for you. Andy, they haven't had any vaccines, and they can't even prove it. They got no paperwork. So the point is they're letting them come into the school system on Thursday, 19,000, whereas if it was your child, they would have to be fully vaccinated, not just for COVID-19, the full panoply of vaccines. We got enough Grubhub delivery guys because that's basically what a lot of the uh, migrants are going to do. They don't have to be vaccinated. This is an outrage. We got cops, firefighters, healthcare workers who were fired, who lost their pensions and homes, haven't been hired back. Can you imagine some guy delivering weed for Grubhub from Venezuela isn't vaccinated and he's gamefully employed and you're unemployed? Does that make sense? Does it's, that make sense? No, it's, it's, an, it's unfair. It's an unfair world we live in. Okay, well, we got to talk about that up next because I've seen how the Venezuelans have hustled themselves work because they are hustlers delivering weed out of the 2,000 illegal pop-up weed shops that have grown in the five boroughs of New York City. And you said it's going to be the wedge issue of future future electoral uh, local races, at least. On this, your place to be. It's the U.S. Open birthday boy, Anthony Weiner. And yours truly, Curtis Lee, who came from Juve, ready to go out to the West Indian Day Parade later. And I smell like Snoop Doggy Dogg's living room.
smell of weed. It's in your lungs, too, pal. I'm telling you, that's all it was, is Viceland out there, right here on WABC. Is Sid and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. You know, this is the Big Mac Daddy theme song, Dominic Carter. Who uh, did a six-hour shift. Yeah, he's rolling. Well, that's because Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, he really is a Maytag to his wife, Rachel. Say, so, oh, my wife, Rachel, said, you know, Labor Day is a company holiday. You should, you should take off. You can be with me and Carmine, you know, for an extra day. Meantime, he's shooting craps at the Borgatti. You don't think look, Carmine cup, is up there. A couple of things about Frank. First of all, he is the A-team. He is the A team. He's he has, he's he's a big deal at this station. Yeah, and yeah. This it, is for Labor vacation. Day. He's taken so many vacations. And you know, if people didn't take vacations, I wouldn't get an opportunity like this. Yeah, but I mean, this guy's always taking vacations. Like every month, he takes a week's vacation. This from a guy who makes his bones on like Pac Man eating up other people's exactly. vacation shifts nonstop. You but, li- you but, give me a minute of your time, you may never get it back. Yeah, but you know who's catching up to you, Dominic. Dominic yes, did like I'm, he did like a six-hour shift on Saturday night, Sunday morning. He was grinding. In fact, I called in from Jouvet, right in Crown Heights and Flatbush. Boy, if you get a chance, you got to listen on the podcast three to four. I was kicking it, man. I was talking like I was a Rastafari. I was so immersed in the culture there. Hey, you Yankee man, you rude boy. It was great. It was uh, great. Yeah, Do- Dominic does a good job. Here's the thing about Dominic. When he gets towards the end of these overnight shifts, he gets cranky. Mm. He gets very cranky. It's great radio. That's right. He doesn't, he doesn't, I, I, I dub him the black Bob Grant of talk radio because he has tremendous mood swings as Bob Grant did. Bob yeah. Grant will be laughing hysterically, and then he would be screaming, I got to get out of here. Uh, and, and Dominic has developed a lot of the same traits. He, but in a very good, like, that's what made, in my view, again, I'm, I'm still learning this. I've been doing this now a little bit while you've helped tutored me on, on the weekends. But one of the things I realized about that makes talk radio go is when it's a little less predictable. And so, like, towards the end in that four to five, three to five, when callers come in and they use fake names, Dominic is like, oh, you're not getting away with it. He gets a little bit. It's really good. It was really good radio. Today. And he loves interacting with callers. That's he really does. traditional yep. talk radio. Uh, he's light on the guests. Uh, I never have guests. I never have guests. I hate guests because guests. Imagine you. You were a guest many, many times. You were a guest on the old Dynamis in the morning yeah, show yeah. with the crew. You know you are coming in. You got your presentation down pat. There's no way we're going to shake you as much as they, they jab you, they hit you. I don't know, you. though. Do you remember when Imus 
Imus would do interviews sometimes, and because it was so kind of jokey and jovial, and sometimes people would say stupid things. Remember, when Al D'Amato got in trouble when he made fun of Judge Ito. Remember this? Oh, I remember he made, Just because it was kind of like he got into the shtick. So sometimes when you do an interview in a, in a setting, but you're right, very often. I mean, sometimes I listen to the interviews we do here. So I've been very, very critical of, of Judge Dershowitz, uh, Dershowitz for saying stuff he should know that is wrong about the Trump thing and everything else. And every once in a while, someone will call and says, well, why don't you have him on your show? No. I, say, I don't want to have him on my uh, show to on say. everybody's show. And I also, if I know what someone's going to say, and he said it 50 times, I don't need him to come on my show and say it. No, what's, what's made your show uh, a must-tune-in-listen uh, show on Saturdays when you start out from 2 to 3 is you take on all the Trumpers. Remember, we got nobody else here who takes right, on right. Trumpers. We have people who claim to be Democrats, right? Moderate Democrats, right? Well, they were a moderate Democrat back when FDR was president. They haven't had a Democratic thought since. The deck is stacked here. So you're the only person who will actually defend things that have been done in the Biden presidency and take on Donald Trump. That's what people want to hear. They want to get into the ring with you as long as it's civil it's not hostile, but that's what talk radio is about. Instead of this Barney talk, oh, I love you, you love me, <laughs> I love Trump, Trump is wonderful, Trump is God, idolatry. Or when you were doing the debate analysis the other night, I'm listening, I'm on my way back from, I forget where, one of my rallies, I didn't get arrested at that one against the migrants and the tents. And I'm listening, and you said two words, and then Rita Cosby jumps your bones with Andrew Giuliani. It was unlistenable. And then I tuned back 10 minutes later, and you said two words, and Rita Cosby and Andrew Giuliani double teams you and jumps your bones. That is lousy talk radio. And I've been doing this for 35 years, so you got to be true to yourself. On Saturdays, out of the bullpen, two to three, boom, let all the Trumpers go at it. Then your next hour, three to four, you should have been the mayor instead of de Blasio if you hadn't, uh, if you hadn't just imploded. You would have been a much better mayor. You know all about this city. You can comment on that. And then we get into the mix. Uh, left first is right, four to five. And I'm telling you, you and Dominic are developing here at WABC. A lot of others, I could leave listening to their program for a week and come back, and it's the same thing. Trump is God. Biden sucks. And Hunter Biden left the cocaine in the White House. <laughs> That is not good talk radio. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, up next, we got to talk about the proliferation of the illegal pop-up weed shops, 2,000 now in New York City. And Anthony Weiner, who knows it, he's got his finger on the pulse, says this could be the wedge issue on these upcoming city council elections in November. And then eventually the mayoral election and the citywide elections that will follow the presidential election in 2024. On this your place to be WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. It's a little OPP. I wonder what that acronym stands for, Naughty by Nature. OPP, you can just imagine. Let your mind. Oh, that's not so bad. Other people's property. They say it right in the song. 
Well, there other are people. other meetings. <laughs> yeah, other meetings to that. But anyway, happy birthday, Anthony Weiner. He's you. a big 59. Thank you. But let's clear the way because you live in the Lower East Side, which per capita, per person, has more illegal weed shops and a few legal weed shops. Now, you keep saying a number. How many, what is that number? 2,000, right? 2,000 citywide. So somebody went out and has knows where they are, counted them, came up with a tally. The mayor uses it all the time. You repeat it. I repeat it on my show. Well, if we know where they are, close them down. What is the point of having a system where you have licenses that people go through to get it and you got to be a veteran? Sometimes you have to be someone who was impacted by the drug laws and whatever it is. I think six, right? Is that right? Six or nine. seven? There's nine. Nine in the city. There's one in my neighborhood in the East oh, Village. Oh, there's more than one. So someone went out and counted all these. There's one, one, two, three doors down from my, from, from my home, one across the street. They're all over the place. Don't count them. Close them down. So here's my thing. When I was coming up in politics in the 90s and on the aughts and whatever it is, you know, being in favor of legalizing marijuana, unheard of. Because we were like, you know, it was a drug. Then the the worm turned because the possession laws were being used to stop, frisk, hassle, um, largely men of color who didn't have any marijuana on them or didn't have it, who hadn't committed any crime, but they would say, let me see what's in your pockets so that they can look for small amounts of marijuana. It was a bad idea, so they should decriminalize it. This effort to put pot stores on every corner is a I think that if you're going to run against a neighborhood city councilman, the way to do it is to say, look at that street. Look at like within the site of, of every of every neighborhood shopping strip is these places. And I don't think people like it. I don't think people like walking down the street, even if you're the most progressive guy in the world. When I walk down the street, I told you the story on, the, on our show. Jordan, we were walking by one of these card shop guys that were selling incense you know the rastafarian guys that sell incense and he smells the incense that is that is that marijuana i said no but when we smell marijuana at some point i'll tell you what it smells like five times on our walk home from school yeah jordan that's marijuana that's marijuana it's everywhere and i think it's a real it's become the noise complaint of two of 2023 the thing that everyone hears everyone complains about but no one ever does anything about and I would run in my neighborhood city council person or whatever it is. I would say, listen, you know where these places are. Well, Shut them down. Your city council person who ran for Congress, remember when they had the scrum right. of 10? And she was uh, one of the leaders of the pack, but uh, she lost momentum in the end. She's far left. She's a uh, uh, Democrat socialist. I, of actually say, I, I, I think I voted for her for Congress. When they opened up the first legal weed shop, which is on 8th Street, right across from NYU and Broadway, I was there with Nancy because we saw, like, hundreds of people to buy the first legal weed in New York City. They didn't have any uniform cops. City Hall said get all the uniform cops out of there, which was a mistake. Nobody was going to bother the cops. And, I mean, it's ridiculous. They're there to buy weed. It's strict. You got to show ID. A lot of people but don't. Wait, but, but before you gloss over it, that was every local politician was there bragging how they right. bought marijuana. Talking about marijuana. how they were going to go home and blaze away. Treating it as if it was this great, amazing thing. And I get it. Your, your city councilwoman there was right. one of the big smile on their face. Right. She Thank- posed with a bag of gummies yeah. or whatnot. Thankfully, the mayor did not show up. You know, he loves cameras, but I think uh, cooler heads prevailed and said, 
you were on Stephen Colbert right after you beat Curtis, the day after, yeah. uh, giving him a nickel and dime bag of marijuana and you giving him rolling paper and you're telling everyone in America, come to New York City because marijuana is legal. What a dumb thing to say. And he said increasingly dumb things around him. He's been making jokes. Nobody's going to take you seriously if you're making jokes about legal reefer. And then you decide you're going to crack down on it. Now, you you said, why are they able to stay open? That's everybody's question is you've got a precinct in the area. You think the cops could go in there, they survey the area, they say, you know, you're selling uh, marijuana illegally and all the ancillary products were padlocked in the store. You have an opportunity to go to court, make your case. But from right now, your store is padlocked. We seize your property. We put it in a warehouse. Boy, that would stop it real quick. Well, look, real quick. Look, it's much. I mean, it's even easier than that. It is still illegal to to possess large amounts of marijuana. So, like, it's the the laws have not been completely eliminated. Correct. So, having a whole bunch of amount. So, if you are a weed store, theoretically, you have weed in the store. Just someone should go in. And say, I want to buy a pound. If you, if they sell you, if they say, okay, we have a pound here, then they've committed a crime. Look, let me make this, but there's a more serious side but of this. You, you understand, they don't want cops to do what they used to do. They don't want them dealing with emotionally disturbed, but they haven't come up with an alternative. They don't want them going into pot shops, weed stores, because they say we don't want cops having to deal with that, especially uniform cops. Because you well, have but wait a minute, but wait a minute, but it's what's called what you used to call back in the day a precinct condition. If you have a, a shop that's doing something sure. illegal, if you had a shop that was selling a, a chop shop that was selling stolen car parts, you'd go in there in a heartbeat. Exactly. Now, but I I just think that there has been there I, there's kind of look there's a couple there's other elements of this one. We really don't have a great test yet for when someone is driving impaired for marijuana. If someone walks into this workplace, this workplace here, and reeks of marijuana, you're saying it as a joke about you coming back from the, but someone does. And a, an employer is very, very limited on what they're allowed to do because that's a legally consumable product. They can say we don't want you, you know, we're concerned about your, your hygiene, but they can't say you're under the influence. Then you've got the whole other problem. This is a Schedule One narcotic. It shouldn't be. But as a result That's of the right, being, it's listed with fentanyl right, by the United States Department uh, of uh, Drug Enforcement. Right. As a re, but as a result of that, there hasn't been a lot of research done. We don't know if it's a gateway drug. You know, I lost my brother Seth to drug addiction. I've had problems with addiction. You know, Sid has had problems with. We don't know. We there's enormous amount that we don't know. And the message going out right now, the fact that these shops are everywhere, whether we realize it or not, there's a subtle message of going out to kids of my son's age. That you know what? This is kind of okay. It's kind of okay. It's, you know, and, and I know there are a lot of people that have find it very useful for therapeutic reasons. There are a lot of people who use it safely without any problems. But right now the system is chaotic. It's kind of like we decided almost overnight that we were going to deluge our streets with these things. And I am a progressive guy. I believe in liberal policies and everything else. But I think this is a huge political mistake for people to be showing up at pop, pop shops saying that I've got my bag of gummies, I can't wait to go home and try them. I think that Mrs. Crapalucci on Avenue P probably looks at that that elected official and says, wait, what the heck? What is going on here? And I believe that if, I, if, if the, the mayor has been all over the map on this, making jokes on Colbert, celebrating the opening of the shops, and then kind of throwing up his hands and saying there's nothing I can really do about this. 
That's I don't believe that that's right. Well, he he's left it to the sheriff's department, led by Anthony Miranda. They have no enforcement ability. Right, they're, they're treating, but they're, I know, but they're treating it like a business problem, correct? Rather than a law enforcement problem, rather than a, an addiction problem, rather than all well, these other things. Look how embarrassing it was. They had a weed shop openly selling reefer and its ancillary products right across the street from City Hall, two hundred and fifty feet away. It was called Jungle Boys. Luckily, it was African-Americans that owned it. You can imagine if white boys owned that called Jungle Boys. That would have been a reason to close it down. Three times they went in, they wrote them up, they seized the contraband, and they were in business like hours later. It became a joke. And when you saw all the people from City Hall who work in the basement, they're like 50 people, they're like mole people in the basement, going across the street to Jungle Boys during their break and vaping up. No, that is not. Yes, it is true. There were reporters who were documenting it. It was right in your face. You couldn't even close that shop right across from City Hall. And now there are 2,000. You remember remember long before even the brick and mortar shops were people had these these big trucks that were driving around the city of New York. With an ATM machine in the back. We have a guy on my corner who's in a little kind of, uh, um, what are little VW things called? What are they called? The little VW VW buses, the mini buses that they used to have. They used to be popular in the 60s. Anyway, he's got one of those. And it's got a menu like it's a Chinese restaurant yeah. kind of place, yeah. uh, right there. Look, my 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 view is a political. Like I think the politics of this, my a lot of people are missing. I really do think you can attack a progressive person as a fellow progressive and saying, "Wait a minute, however you think this program should work, no one thinks it should be." On every, you know, a three on every shopping trip. And what is happening, and there are so many, the real estate side of this is there's a lot of vacant stores since COVID. And these guys are going in. They're barely changing the awnings at all. They're putting up a sign outside with a menu on it. And boom, they're in business. And a lot of these well, this landlords. Is, this is how they do it. A lot of Yemenites own bodegas. So they're in business. And now, as you mentioned, after the lockdown and pandemic, they're empty mom and pop storefronts. So they go to their landlord. They do business with them anyway. They say, we'll open up. They don't call it a weed shop, a smoke shop. Because they also sell cigarettes. Many a times they're on tax to begin with. So he goes to the landlord. He goes, look, you got empty space. How about we do a month-to-month cash? The moment you have a hassle, we close down because my primary business is the bodega. So they get the weed, easy to get. It's got to be, you know, it doesn't have to be New York weed like the legally licensed nine shops that exist in New York City. They can get it from anywhere. And they're opened up and they're doing Buffalo business and they're open 24 hours a day. It's hard to find a bodega open 24 hours a day. And even if they're not doing Buffalo business, because that's the other thing I wondered, 2,000 of them, how much market could there really be for this, this, this situation? Even if they're not, the real estate guys are like, look, I have problem. We have problem with vacancies in our shopping strips. Ever since COVID, there's been a problem. And a lot of these landlords would traditionally warehouse that space, waiting for the for their rents to go back higher. Well, now they don't really need to. They can say, all right, we'll do a month-to-month like you describe. Maybe I won't make as much. So, but this is not an unsolvable problem. Unlike the fly-by-night um fly-by-night operators of these shops. The real estate guys are fixtures. We know where to find them. We know their address. We know where the tax bill goes. I think that we have to be much tougher on this. And if I am a candidate running against um, against uh, uh, Eric Adams, this migrant issue might recede. I say to you in the form of advice, this smoke issue is not going to. And the other issue that's combined with that 
the Vespas, the motor scooters, and the electric e-bikes, which the cops very rarely, if ever, do enforcement. In fact, they just had a situation. They called it a scooter crackdown up at uh, the Stratford Arms Hotel where the Venezuelans are housed, 71st and Broadway. Uh, They seized their scooters because they have no license, no registration, no plates. And they got into fights. The Venezuelans were fighting the cops right out there in the middle of Broadway. This is a problem throughout the city, all five boroughs. And uh, up next, we got to talk about the Vespas, the motorbikes, and the e-bikes, and how migrants end up getting them if they show up here with nothing. I'll explain to you because I've analyzed it. Boy, these are hustlers. They know right away this is the capitalistic center of the world, and they're starting to make deals. And you'll hear it first with Anthony Weiner. He's the birthday boy today, 59. Yours truly, Curtis Lever. I smell like Snoop Doggy Dog's uh, living room because of all the reefer I had to go through in Jouvet and Crown Heights. And then I go back to the West Indian Day Parade this afternoon. But this is your place to be, WABC. In the morning, 77 WABC. Ooh, it's just a little red wine, I'll be fine. Not like I want to do this every night. I sense this is Barbados. Barbados. Rihanna, right? Got no, it's not. It's this not is a Demi Lovato. Oh, get rid of her. Got it. <laughs> What the hell? This is West Indian Day Parade. You're on so off the list. Barbados, TNT, uh, uh, Trinidad, Tobago. Jamaica. I got it, got it. We'll get the Caribbean yeah, stuff. Anyway, so um, I'm hanging around the Roosevelt Hotel. Which is where you hang around nowadays. I do, because uh, it is uh, where they process the migrants. They come into the Port Authority, and then they walk through the car at 42nd Street, and they show up at the Roosevelt Hotel, and there's this company that's really in double trouble called Doc Go, that the mayor has decided to partner up with, gave him a $432 million no-bid contract, and they've never done this kind of work before. And they are running into all kinds of problems, as anybody would who's never done this kind of work. So there they process the migrants, and from there they outsource them. So like everything else in life, people are tribal. You know, they say you should assimilate. It's like when you were in the lunchroom. White kids hang out with white kids, Hispanic kids with Hispanic kids, black kids with black kids. Same thing at the Roosevelt Hotel. So to the north of the Roosevelt Hotel are the Venezuelans, mostly young men, and they're hustlers. You know, remember at one time before Hugo Chavez uh, came into power, uh, that was the capitalistic hub of South America. It was a country that was based on capitalism. So I could see in these young men, they got Vespas, they got motor scooters, they got e-bikes. Um, how the hell did they get all of that so quick? So I don't speak Spanish, so some of my guardian angels do. And they're telling me stories. They go to all these illegal weed shops because they see, wow, illegal weed, it's everywhere. And they realize that there's no, quote, grub hub for the illegal weed shops. So they go in, 
They talk to who's ever behind the counter, who's in charge, whatever. You can always find somebody who speaks Spanish in New York. Like, <laughs> it's a lot easier if you speak Spanish. And they make a deal. They say, we don't have a Vespa. We don't have a motorbike. We'll do layaway. We'll deliver your weed at your illegal weed shop. Now, they start doing that, and they're able to pay off that Vespa, that motorbike, eventually by all their deliveries. Then the illegal weed shop down the block realizes, oh, my God, they're beating me competitively because now they'll deliver. And so then they go there. And so a lot of these Venezuelans, they're hustling, they're delivering the weed, Grubhub style, although not legal, from all the illegal but weed also, shops. they're also doing deliveries for the actual Grubhub, the actual restaurants. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, that when if you get a, a fake Social Security number and you give it to an employer – and the employer puts that into their ADT, into their, into their employee processing. So it's not like you get an email back from the Social Security Administration. No, this is a fake, uh, um, Social Security number. The Social Security Administration c- collects all the taxes from undocumented people all the time. Billions of dollars each year get collected. So a lot of these guys are also doing it legally. And just like the cab industry of the sixties and seventies, they'll lease the, these, these, um, motorbikes month by month and then kick back. It's a good business. I mean, these these people, this is part of the argument for why you should let the immigrants work. Now, I don't think it's necessarily a winning argument, but that's part of the argument. No, you ain't going to get it. Because if uh, Biden allows that here, he's got to allow that everywhere. It's not Biden. It's Nicole Maliotakis. It's the Congress that has to ch- We'll get back to it. I want to have this conversation with you. Because Eric Adams had a falling out with Joe Biden that we never learned about until this weekend. A year ago. A year ago, Anthony Weiner. We didn't know anything about this. But we will continue on. It's Anthony Weiner's birthday. He's 59. Yours truly, Curtis. Got to de-louse myself, man, from all the <laughs> reefer and weed that I got immersed in over at Juve and Crown you're Heights. Even, you're even more stoned than normal today. Man, I am. <laughs> man, contact high and smelling all the fumes from the jerk pork to jerk chicken that was being cooked in the big barbecue pits. Anyway, this is your place to be, WABC, as we take you to the 10 o'clock hour. Is Sid and friends in the morning? What you say? He's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. Seventy-seven WABC. What's wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? Okay, we're on it, Matt Meany. We're on it. It's Barbadian, Barbados. Next will be TNT, Trinidad, and Tobago, followed by Jamaica, no doubt. In just a few hours after I finish the rip and read from uh, 12 to 1, I'll be heading out to the West Indian Day Parade with the Guardian Angels, as I do every year. I'll be able to report back to all of you tomorrow. All throughout the day. But it is interesting because it's Anthony Weiner's birthday today. He's 59. And I got to find out because we we learned something this weekend that I hadn't figured out with this chasm, this schism that exists now between the mayor, Eric Adams, Kathy Hochul, the governor, and the Biden administration. 
In the beginning, when the migrants were coming in, it was kumbaya. They were all praising one another. Eric Adams would call himself the Biden of Brooklyn. He would say, we have a wonderful relationship. He's my no, no, friend. He was calling himself the Biden of Brooklyn before he had even defeated you. Right. Right? Exactly. It, it was, he just won exactly. the primary, and suddenly he's doing a victory tour around the country. Well, well remember, they invited him to the White House uh, yeah. for that crime conference. The president said, hey, I'll slice off a little bit of this uh, – this money here, you know, uh, that uh, it was the tail end of the COVID monies. There was still money right, washing the stimulus around. Stimulus money. Well, you you hire police officers, and he said, "No, I'm not going to hire any police officers until I restructure the police department." I thought that was the first speed bump, because when Washington offers you money and you say no, don't think you're going to get that back. One time, one time only. Take the money, bank it. If you don't know what you're going to do with it right away, bank it, and then prepare to utilize it. So yeah, I, my, I, I see what you're saying. My view, the speed bump was going to Washington. You're not the mayor yet. Show the people of the city of New York that you get that you're going to be here. Not that you're not going to work well with Washington, but you're going to be here and around and, like, you know, don't do the national TV shows. Do the local things. Yeah, but he was that, the new face of the Democratic Party. He says, was he, says him. Exactly. <laughs> and people were buying after, that. After he would after he won by 1% in a ranked choice voting that 5% of the voters, 5% right. of the voters voted but, in. But people were believing that yeah. stuff. But you got to eventually deliver. And now he's hit a brick wall because he could always depend on going to Washington because he had friends. Hakeem Jeffries. One day he's going to be Speaker of the House when the Democrats have the majority. Chuck Schumer, the most powerful Democrat other than Joe Biden himself in Washington. And the Biden administration, we thought. Now we find out. New York Post had a story, and I've double-checked and triple-checked it, and apparently it is true. That in the early stages when Abbott was releasing the migrants at the Texas border, putting them on the buses and sending them up to the Port Authority. When Eric Adams is saying, we'll take them, you know, we're a sanctuary city, we treat them right, you're a racist, you treat them wrong, This is you, 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 you're not doing the right thing, Abbott. He went to a meeting in Washington, D.C. The president was not at the meeting, but all of his top echelon officials were. His chief of staff, uh, the head of the uh, Department of Homeland Security, all the key people, and apparently... Andrew, he walked in, Anthony, he walked in, and he said, you guys don't know what you're doing. Well, he said, no, he said, he was quoted as saying, we're not getting leadership from you, which is the one thing you don't say when you go into the White House and talk to all the, because you, you, we need you to show leadership, which is like as if he, Adams, was doing it and Biden was not. But this was not being said publicly. This was right. said privately. Right. But apparently it rubbed them the wrong way. Very much so. Now, seemingly it rubbed them the wrong way and it affected other decisions. I think it was you who told me that when New York City put in the bid to host the Democratic National Convention at Madison Square Garden. It completely fizzled. It was like no attention to it whatsoever. No pomp and circumstance, nothing. You know, like other mayors have done exactly the same and they would like, you know, the lobbying would begin and the DNC would say, no, no, New York's still a player. You know, it's down to the final two. Apparently, they they didn't even consider New York. They went right to Atlanta. So to you, that was a sign. I wasn't even thinking that way. 
But now we've seen. And also, remember, there was this other thing that the president's reelection starts to gear up and they put out a list. Everyone under the sun, every labor local in Missouri was on it. And Eric Adams, the Biden of Brooklyn, was nowhere to be found on this, you know, on this organization chart of the most influential Democrats. Hundreds of people are on that chart. Hundreds of people. So in your mind, it's sort of like, what did he do to all of a sudden not make the cut? And now we see that all three are at odds with one another. This is not a good show to the general public, especially when we're in a crisis, that the mayor is arguing with the governor. Both the governor and mayor are arguing with the president's staff. And then Mayorkas last week, as if it was the last week of football training camp, came in and said, give me your playbook, the playbook we gave you, because you haven't been following the federal playbook. You've been doing a lousy job. He was like the Turk. Right, but i got to tell you something. I have no patience for any of the three of the people in this conversation. For one thing, Joe Biden's people have not been showing leadership because there is a message here that they should be repeating over and over again. I, the president of the United States, am dealing with the laws that were left to me by by, um, Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't fix the asylum laws. Donald Trump didn't give us the budget to crack down on fentanyl. Donald Trump was obsessed with the wall. He screwed this up. I'm not crazy about Biden. Biden has not said anything. very. If you had a say in one sentence, what has Biden's position been on the undocumented pouring into our country? He wouldn't have had a good line. Hochul is going around saying, oh, if only we can let these people work, everything would be better. That's a violation of the law. You can't go and ask the president to just waive the law. He doesn't have the authority to do that. Only the legislature can do that to change that. And Adams has been everywhere on this issue. He started out saying, yes, we we got it. Yes, welcome these people. I think that's fine. Now he's pointing at everyone under the sun and his and and he's been criticized by his own president and his own governor for having an incoherent and disorganized response. So I have no patience for any of the three people there. But I also don't have a lot of patience for you and for and for Maliotakis and for all these Republicans who wanted to be the majority party in Congress, who said, put us in charge, and now they're in charge, and they're saying, we, we, we can't do anything about this. Go, go, you know, uh, I, we want to secede, and we want to, we want to blame Joe Biden. If you want to change the laws on asylum seekers, go do it. If you want more money allocated in the budget, allocate it. You're the legislature. Go do it. And instead, it's, oh, Adams this and Biden that. No, no, no. These are the laws that have been in place on asylum forever. Since the 1940s, if you want to change them, let's change them. But don't blame these people, well, and, now, don't blame, and don't blame and don't blame Adams. Anthony, let my people go in Staten Island. Let my people go. Well, that was a bad example. Yeah, you should have. Succession. It's the second opportunity at secession. This one, if they run the table right, no if Nicole Maliotakis and Vito Fasella and Joe Borelli, who've been at the head of this secession effort, in fact, when I was running for mayor. Uh, I signed on to Joe Borelli, who wanted to uh, secede at that point. Every politician wants to do it in Staten Island. So it's popular. It's catnip to politicians right, in Staten Island. When, uh, How would it work? When Guy Molinari did it in 1992, right. it was politically astute because in a very close election, the polls indicated, I mean, it's going to be close again. Remember the previous Wait, what election? what year did you say? No, that 1992, because right. in 88, Rudy loses, but barely to Dinkins. So now they go four years. Uh, Guy Molinari starts the secession movement. Remember, he had been in Congress. He came back. He won the borough presidency right. against Lamberti. 
over the prison issue. Remember, oh, that's right. The prison that's issue. right. That's Cause right. Because Koch wanted the prison. Staten Island said no. Uh, Molinari comes back. He leaves Congress to run for the borough presidency in order to defeat the He becomes maybe the most powerful borough president that has ever existed in the city of New York. And he becomes the mayor maker. He becomes the consigliere to Rudy and to Bloomberg. That's how they became mayor. So he starts the secession issue. And who do you think was standing with him when he was firing the cannons at Fort Wadsworth that were aimed in the direction of the Verrazano Bridge and my beloved Brooklyn? Me. I was standing with him. I was in favor of secession. Now, it crashed and burned because Mario Cuomo would not go along with it, nor would the state legislature. And and also, it's not really clear that you'd have to amend the Constitution of the state of New York. I think you need the whole kind of state to do it. But anyway, it was never really a practical thing I think Nicole's position and Fasella's position and Borelli's position now is – you make fun of us. You really don't want to be with us. You know, you really don't like Staten Island. Who says that? Who doesn't like Staten Island? Oh, let's face it. The other four boroughs of the city of New That's York and the true. Democratic majority, they really don't That's like not it. True. They consider it Trump land. So they're saying, let us secede. But imagine running the table. If they happen in the presidential year, which is right around the corner, to get a Republican president, whether it's Trump or someone else, to get the majority of the Senate and no longer Chuck Schumer, majority leader, but a Republican, because we know it isn't going to be Mitch McConnell. And then McCarthy stays Speaker of the House. They could potentially qualify to become a state. And I know a lot of people say, what are you talking about? Well, you're looking for Vermont. Vermont became its own state before the Constitution was ratified in the United States. They broke away from New York State. He's only got like 550,000 people in Vermont. Th- Wyoming has like 575,000. What, what would, what, the, the, but I, that would be two U.S. senators, a congressperson Staten who would probably Island, be Republican. I know. Staten Island seceding is, has always been something politicians like, and it has a good visceral appeal. Come on, come on, Anthony, let my appeal. people go. I know. I'm but not from Staten Island. I don't want to get it. First, I love Staten Island. When I ran for mayor in 2005. Well, they liked you out I, there. I, in a five-way or six-way primary, I got like 50% of the yes, vote. Yes, they liked I loved, you out I there loved, as a Democrat. Because that's the kind of Democrat that I was. And listen, you point this out a lot. It's a Democratic res- registration advantage on the, on the Rock, I'm pretty sure. I think yes, there are more Democrats uh, than Republicans. It's 60% to 40%. And it's a lot of, but it's, it's a lot of blue-collar Old line, a lot of, it's like a civil service mecca, a lot of civil servants out there, a lot of people in uniform out there, a lot of military people out it's there. It's the place where they coined the expression, the Reagan Democrats, yeah. the Giuliani Democrats. In fact, in 2000, the contentious election between Gore and Bush 43, they voted for Gore, Staten Island. And it's the most balanced uh, group of legislators because even though the majority are Republicans, slightly, Remember, you have the DA who's a Democrat, the borough right. president who's McMahon, a Republican. The congresswoman is Molly Atakis. But Max Rose, had he not marched with Black Lives Matter when he went to the, the precinct, the 122nd precinct in Island Boulevard, he might still be the congressman. Well, and also now that the Democrats are, you know, are going back and re-looking at the congressional lines, who knows what might happen again. Look – over and over but again. But you would have to admit it's the most balanced uh, uh, borough legislatively in terms of also co- almost as many number of Democrats elected as Republicans. As a result, the legislators out there get along very well. There is a Too certain, well. In, well, because McMahon ran unopposed, I think. Yeah, you know, now, l- l- let's talk about McMahon a second. My Briefly, my former colleague. I know. 
uh, an ambulance chaser also whose wife is a judge. You think there's a conflict of interest there? But anyway, let's put that aside. It's the waning days of the gubernatorial Republican campaign for the governorship. Very heated primary. Zeldin wins. But there was Andrew Giuliani, there was Rob Astorino, and there was Wilson, Harry Wilson. <clears throat> the last two days, Rudy Giuliani is all over the state. I happen to be with him, and I recognize, I said to Dr. Maria, he's breathing, there's something wrong. He's sweating, he's schwitzing, he's breathing. Was this where he had that thing where someone patted him on the back? Yeah. yeah that thing? At the uh, shop right, right. Uh, which is a uh, Republican bastion there. Right. Smacks him on the back. He's a worker there. Uh, and then the police come and they arrest the guy. They charge him with a minor degree of assault. And then remember, Eric Adams went out of his way twice to say publicly he had spoken to McMahon, the DA. He wanted him arrested for filing a false police report. You remember that? And then I'm out there in the annual Travis Fourth of July parade, the longest running in the nation, and all the politicos are there. They march together, the Democrats and Republicans. And I go up to McMahon. You can't miss him. His hair is white. And I say, McMahon, if there's one thing I will do, if you have Rudy arrested, you have him indicted on this, filing a wrongful police uh, charge against that that kid who's now represented in a civil suit against Rudy by who? Rod Kuby, whose mommy is a commie. <laughs> I said, I will encourage Rudy to move to Staten Island and run against you. McMahon uh-huh. turned completely white. Because, you know, that's that's Giuliani land. I mean. Well, that, yeah, look. You you can you know and Diane Savino is out there, Michael Cusick, you know these guys, these Democrats, but who understood how to do the talk, how to talk the kind of the what I had to do representing Glendale and Massbeth and Broad Channel and these other places. But if you're a if you're a Staten Island wide district attorney, a Republican of renown can beat you almost just Absolutely. by being on the ballot. Although the combination of law enforcement. And Republican and Staten Island. So I, I'm, I'm thinking back. I was with Guy Molinari. He was sort of a mentor of mine. And he was running for DA because this guy Murphy, I think, was the no, DA. No. He had gotten like a liver transplant, something. He had some. Wait, he, do, Mur- Murphy, a major problem. And so Murphy does a lit drop which said, keep Guy Molinari the best borough president we've ever had in Staten Island. And Guy looks to me, he sees the lit for the first time. You know what he said to me, Anthony? He goes, what a brilliant strategy. Now everybody's going to vote for him because they want me to stay borough president. But it's always been balanced. Very balanced. Very balanced politically. <laughs> there, there was a, a Democrat, his name I'm trying to r- recall, I, 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 he was made a federal judge by Chuck Schumer. Popular guy. Look, look, Democrats, Republicans have always gotten along very well out there because it's kind of mutual assured destruction. There are more Democrats. Um, oh, I thought, yeah, Eric Vitaliano right, uh, um, was appointed by Bush uh, uh, and uh, uh, na- you know, uh, encouraged by, by Chuck Schumer. I would go out there and march with best parades out there, by the way. I would go out and march in the parades. And you know what? People have very strong opinions. You know who got crushed out there in the, when he would parade out there? Bloomberg. Because when Bloomberg went on his anti-smoking crusade, oh, yeah. it kind of cut against the general libertarian view of the borough. Yeah, and you, you know, you couldn't have uh, any, no soda, none of, none of the normal things. Anyway, when we come back, the flashpoint to the whole migrant issue is St. John Villa Academy. There's a standoff going on out there. I'll give you an update. 
But the mother of all rallies is taking place tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, I'll be there. And they have attracted thousands, and not just Republicans. Because remember, that's in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge. North Shore did not vote for me. It voted for Eric Adams. The rest of Staten Island votes Republican. But a lot of Democrats came out because this migrant issue has joined a lot of homeowners together. And I'll give you the update because it really is now power politics. Who's going to win this one? Will the mayor decide it ain't worth the fight against uh, Democrats and Republicans together in Staten Island? Or will he force the migrants in to make his point? On this, your place to be, it's Anthony Weiner's 59th birthday today. Yours truly, Curtis, is delousing from having inhaled all the <laughs> weed at the Juve celebration overnight in Crown Heights, getting ready to head out to the West Indian Day Parade. After I do the rip and read today, 12 to 1, it's live and local radio. No best stuff because it's worst stuff. Sid Rosenberg will be back with you tomorrow right here on WABC. City is a pity, half of y'all won't make it. Me, I got a plug, special ed, I got it made. If Jesus paying LeBron, I'm paying Dwayne. Oi! This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. How can you have talk about the Caribbean Day Parade starting at 6 a.m. and no Bob Marley? Well, remember, Juve ended at 6 a.m., the Caribbean Day Parade, the actual parade. No, I'm just saying, you and I have been talking about it, and we're doing, we're we're rolling through American hip-hop artists. Come on, let's get a little How about a little Peter Tosh and the Whalers? Come on, let's get a little upscale. But anyway... There are 200 locations now that house migrants, all different kinds of facilities. There's tents, there's uh, motels, there's hotels, and there's... By the way, don't go soft on me now calling the migrants when you call them illegals when you're on 705 every day with... For your purpose, I'm going to call them migrants. Thank you. And they have shelters, actual shelters that were originally there for citizens here or anyone else who arrived who didn't have a place to say the right of shelter exists because of a court mandate that Ed Koch agreed in, uh, into with the Coalition for the Homeless, Legal Aid, Norman Siegel, New York Civil Liberties Union back then, because he didn't want to continue to battle them in court. That's established. Out of all those places, and Anthony, I've been to 100 of them out of the 200, the battleground is now St. John Villa Academy. You get off the Verrazano Bridge, it's right there in Grasmere. First off, be honest with you, I really didn't know much about that area. Now that I've been there a lot, oh, my God. It is like, it, it is million-dollar mansions, lots of space. It's like no really nice, no yeah. place. It's like, it, to a degree, the gardens with more space in Forest Hills, but more space spread out, really nice. And the schools are right on top of one another. So you had the St. John Villa Academy, which was an all-girls Catholic school for many years, 400 uh, girls, 100 per grade, and it closed about three years ago. The borough president, Jimmy Otto, who's now the buildings commissioner for Eric Adams, he was the uh, Republican conservative. He convinced the city through the Department of Education, buy the building, it's empty, 
from, I think, the order, the nun's order, not the archdiocese, but the nun's order that owned it. And let's turn it into a public high school because we need it. Everybody agreed. But it wasn't going to be a public high school for six years. Now, this hits three years later. The city says everything's on the table, except you may have remembered back on June 14th, Staten Island Advance publishes an article in which my fellow Republicans savage me, Democrats savage me, and the mayor's office savages me, says everything is on the table, but never will it be at St. Johnsville Academy. <laughs> Sliwa made this up. was lying. Well, a few weeks later, it obviously was always on the table. They don't just pick a site and then house people overnight. There's a lot of work that has to go into these things. So they announce it. The community is in an uproar. Democrats working together with Republicans, homeowners, because this is their, their stakeholders in that area. So you have St. John Villa Academy. Across the street is St. Joseph High School for girls. Then you have the elementary school, and then you have a school for right. the handicapped. It's like a campus almost in right. that area. Yeah. All there. And there's only one way in and one way out. It's a residential community. So just looking at it from the geography, you would say, look, you're going to put 300 migrants here, mostly men with some women, no children. What are they going to do all day? There's nowhere to go, nothing to do. Okay, so they decide to force the issue. They're moving them in. The community has the rallies. These were incredible turnouts, the biggest rallies we've had other than Creedmoor, thousands. And now all of a sudden is a Friday ago, and lawyers working with Vito Fisello, the borough president, go in and get a temporary restraining order in Staten Island uh, to block uh, the city's ability to house the migrants there. The judge agrees. Gives do, him a, do, you, do, you, do you remember what grounds they used to argue that? Uh, not the proper facility. It had an uh, environmental. Also, the permit had been issued too quickly or something. That didn't, all right. Anyway, so go ahead. So the Staten Island judge agrees. So the thrill of victory, you know, it's like a wide world of sports. The community, they're partying, they're out in front of the school, and the migrants are leaving. Under court order, the sheriff had to remove the migrants. They almost finished removing all 300. There were like maybe 30, 25 left. Were there 300 in there? Close to. There was Uh about 180 at the max, but they were going to capacity 300. So now... The Adams administration runs into the appellate division 5 o'clock on Friday, and now the thrill of victory becomes the agony of defeat. The judge overrules the judge in Staten Island, but he says, look, you can still have your court Right, just the TRO is listed. Right. right. They couldn't show show that there was any harm that couldn't be undone because he can always move them out, so they let them go. The city can move migrants back. Your original plan was to have 300. So the city starts to try to do that slowly. These are small buses, like vans. Now the migrants are getting out, and there's a hostile crowd there. Screaming, yelling, hollering, go back to Manhattan, some curse words, blah, blah, blah. They're outraged. Many of those migrants tell their supervisors, hey, I'd rather go back to the Roosevelt Hotel. Get me back to Manhattan. What do I want to be out of here for? These people don't want us. So ever since, there's been a brigade of grandmothers. They sit in their lawn chairs, and they're there 24 hours a day. So I'm on Sunday morning. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I go from 12 midnight to 6, and I see that they are bringing in 12 to 20 migrants under the cover of darkness. And all you hear from the dark caverns surrounding St. John Villa Academy is, 
go back to Manhattan. We don't want you here. And you can see in the looks of the migrant faces, like, why are we here? Yeah, yeah. Get me out of here. So it's a stalemate there. My suggestion to the Adams administration is you've retreated before. Remember when they tried to put the migrants in gymnasiums, Coney Island? That's where Ari Kagan, who's running against Justin Brandon, came to prominence because he organized the predominantly black parents there. They basically uh, embargoed the school. They were surrounding the school 24 hours. And then there was one in Sunset Park on 4th Avenue across from the precinct. Hispanic parents, the same thing. The mayor was forced to remove the migrants. Uh, if I, if the mayor would listen to me, I would say, look, you're going to fight other battles because let's face it, there are going to be more migrants coming. You have 3,000 locations that you've surveyed that you've gone on record saying we've looked at. Don't force it at St. John Villa. You can't win that battle. The, the people there are in it for attrition. I, you know, I think it's appropriate to say what's an appropriate place to have this. Right inside. Right inside. Yeah, that's the problem. That's, How about we discuss that up next? All right, fair enough. Because I was actually first proposed. Because I don't think this is about appropriateness. I think it's a lot of people who are, who take the position that Sid does. We just don't want you here. Right. There are people like that. But John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator, great talk show host in his own right. I remember he first uh, suggested on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with his many guests and with Rita Cosby, he proposed Rikers Island early on in the process. And now it's taken on a lot of traction from some. Let's discuss it as a compromise. I consider that a compromise as opposed to thinking you're ever going to get them on a bus and sending them back. While they're here, they may end up getting married. They may have a child. That child will be a citizen. You can forget sending them back at that point because we're not breaking up families. That's been the tradition of the United States. It rarely happens. They're not going back. So we got to learn to live with them in one way or the other. But while this is all going on, Anthony, others are coming in every day. About five buses arrive at the Port Authority. This is your place to be. The migrant issue is number one on the minds of local news. Notice we haven't talked much about Biden and Trump. And naturally, well, it's hard to do immigration without eventually talking about Biden and Trump. Right. So we might get there. But at least when I like everybody else who comes in, Trump is God. Biden sucks. And Hunter Biden's cocaine was in the White House. OK, anything more? <laughs> we give you more. They'll give you the hors d'oeuvre, same hors d'oeuvre every day. We give you the entree and we'll call ours a buffet of other issues high, that are important to your life. High calorie and nutritious. That's exactly, what we are. Exactly. On your place to be WABC. Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Ah, uh, you blew it. In my vast, eclectic musical library, I have the Rikers Island song there, Mad Meaning. Also done with a bit of, uh, I would just say, a West Indian twang to it. Rikers Island, man. And, you know, I was having a... See, here it is, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. 
Now, uh, see, uh, Anthony, you and I, we have some similar circumstances. You've been uh, housed in a your actual prison, federal prison. Yeah. I've been housed in jails all around the country, and one of them in the early days of the Guardian Angels was Rikers Island. This is when the cops hated me. Uh, they would give me a wooden shampoo, a concrete facial. and uh, How ar- are they with you now? I'm curious. Oh, great. Great. When I recently got arrested, yeah. uh, you know, they, they have the body cam on, so they got to right. be very, you know, very yeah. serious. The moment they turn the body cam on, high fives, uh, you're going to be the mayor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But meantime, the body camera on, they can't because, you know, they they look at the body cam. Right. Uh, everything they film can potentially be seen. But back then, they thought I was leader of the Hells Angels, right. vigilantes. Ed Koch hated us. And the police unions were geeking up their members to do anything possible to stop us from patrolling the trains. And whenever there was a Bernie Getz or that movie, The War, like whenever there was or uh, there were a lot of um, vigilante movies coming out, the one with Charles Bronson. Death Wish, yeah. So, Death Wish. so you got caught up in this whole thing. The last thing we need is more people roaming the streets trying to solve our crime exactly. problems. So a lot of the coppers, the old timers, not so much the new cops on the BT. In fact, Eric Adams actually wrote... A op-ed piece in the Daily News where he actually says one of the first times he shaped up uh, the sergeant and the transit police. I forget which uh, transit police precinct he was. He said, those guys, you know, in the Red Berets, uh, you're out there harass them. And Eric Adams said, I'm not going to harass them. Uh, my fellow rookie cops, we weren't going to harass them. We didn't have enough cops. He admitted that in that op-ed. As much as he doesn't want to admit it now, he wrote yeah. it. Nobody forced him to. But it was Even true. though from, the, from what I've heard about his record... I'm not sure he was out harassing anybody, right? No, he was, no, he he was, was a little a, bit of a house mouse. House mouse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wasn't out there all that often. But originally, he had to bust his shoes. He had to go out there as transit. But it was bad times for me and the Guardian Angels. We would get the rough ride in the paddy wagon, put you in the back, and then they'd stop, start all the way to uh, uh, where you were being processed and booked. I'll never forget Gold Street, downtown Brooklyn. Then they move you to 100 Skimmerhorn Street. And, man, let me tell you something. They lose your paperwork. It isn't like now you got 24 hours to arrange or you got to give them money. You know, you got to actually the way, give the person money. I, but by the way, and I'm, I don't want to sidetrack on this. One of the reasons they're talking about doing different um, jails in different boroughs is because all of those people were coming from different um, boroughs, yes. all going out to Rikers. And in the other direction, getting people from Rikers to go to the various courthouses is a logistical pain in the neck. You see, right? I would have just reversed osmosis and put all the courthouses out there, but the lawyers would have hated yeah, it. The, the lawyers would have hated it. And naturally. And the witnesses, uh, and the clerks, and everything else. Okay. So months ago, when it first became apparent that the migrant situation was beginning to overwhelm us, John Katsimatidis, in his 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with Rita Cosby and his many uh, contributors, said, why don't we house them on Rikers Island? And naturally, right away, people think, you mean the prison? No. I've been locked up there. There are buildings now that are empty. They can house a lot of people. You obviously don't put people in cells. You take the door off of the cell. Many of the inmates were in dormitories, 40 people to a dormitory. It's a lot of room. You have big cafeterias, big kitchens, big shower stalls. It's made to house people. I will tell you this. The ventilation wasn't good when I was there, so we could use fixing. A little bit on the electricity and plumbing, and you're good to go. 
It's 400 acres. It's not made to house people. It's made to keep people in. The problem is the same logistical reasons why you have an island where you keep people that you're trying to basically keep under lock and key is because you you can limit who comes and who goes and how easily they can do it. Practically speaking, it's really hard to do. I also think it's a violation of the Callahan Decree, which is this whole thing we talk about is about the conditions under which you have to house the people who are homeless in our city. I don't think it's a terrible idea well, well, think of it. it's as not, a conversation piece. There but are, I'm sure there are logistical There reasons. are tents you can put up. Remember, we're putting up a lot of tents now. We have the tent up at Creedmoor, the tent up at Randall's Island, and there's plans to put tents up other But then other you'd places. have to let people come and go off of Rikers well, Island. Well, you see, that's where you can say, look, you want to work, right? The whole goal here of Hochul and Adams is to get them to work quickly. Uh, the rule is you got to wait at least six months. Right. Uh, almost everyone has not been vetted. They haven't been checked for their medical needs. Uh, they haven't been properly vaccinated. We're not just talking uh, COVID-19, other vaccines. Uh, I had spending time in Mexico actually defending the migrants at that time who were being attacked when they came across from Tijuana into the San Ysidro Canyon by off-duty Tijuana police officers <laughs> who actually wore their windbreakers that said Tijuana Police yeah. Department. The coyotes would take them right into the canyons, and then they would peel away, and there were the Tijuana police officers at gunpoint. So I spent a lot of time in Colonia Juarez, Colonia Libertad, which is right there at the border, and I developed latent tuberculosis. I was lucky. It never got full-blown. But I got to tell you, the regimen of horse pills I had to take, yeesh. Thankfully, it's gone. But there are going to be people coming into the country who have medical conditions the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time. And they need – they eat. No, we're not going to have medical conditions the likes of which we haven't seen. They might have some medical conditions when they come in. We don't – I actually think – we never should have ended the COVID emergency so we can still keep Title 42 in place. Once you once you ended the COVID emergency, you can no longer have emergency procedures at the border. So I think that was a mistake. All these people, these anti-vaxxers said, oh, lift all these restrictions. So now someone coming into Kennedy, someone coming at the southern border, people come in. Yes, you say they're, they're the likes of which we have. Yeah, some people might be you, might, you realize might, might you're, be you're taking on Aaron Rodgers, right? He's a god now in New York City. I know. He was just out there at the U.S. Open with you praising Novak for not taking the uh, – just Yeah, he's just shut up and play football, okay. pal. But anyway, but all that being said, I don't think the Rikers Island idea – my view is on so many things in our in our current life, we have to be prepared to give a little bit. I'm a Democrat. I don't think building a wall is such a terrible idea. So there, I'm going to compromise on that. Well, how about, build the wall, build the wall. how about but, this? But on the other hand, on the other hand, can I hear one thing that the Republicans are saying they're prepared to do to try to solve this problem? More money for hearing officers so we can do the asylum hearings faster? Nope. More money to do scanners at the border for fentanyl coming in in trucks and cars? Nope. More money to do anything, more money to help solve this problem. Why don't we change the asylum laws well, so you can't just come here and declare – I mean, I don't think a, that's a good idea. As a Republican, idea. I'm not a high-ranking Republican. I'm a Are Republican. Are you kidding? You're the, you're the banner? You're, you're oh, the, New York City, right. I, I think you could yeah. say I'm the titular head of the New York City Republicans, although I got a lot of enemies in this Republican Party in the city. <laughs> but let's put that aside. <laughs> Republicans believe spend less. How about sweat equity? I propose this to you on Saturday's program, Left versus Right. And remember, you want to be listening 
to Anthony Weiner on Saturday, because if you're a Trumper, you got to listen two to three. He takes on all the Trumpers. It's the only one here at the station who does it in a civil way. Then he discusses a lot of local issues, because remember, he could have easily been the mayor if he hadn't imploded, and we would have been in much better shape than Comrade Bill de Blasio left us. And then, left versus right, we talk about a smorgasbord of different issues. So that's three hours of Anthony on Saturday. He's gotten better and better. My favorite hour is not left versus right. It's that first hour. When, man, you're ready to engage the Trumpers, they just keep calling and calling. And these are great discussions. I learn a lot from you and a lot from the callers. But I would propose, as a Republican representative, sweat equity. we got to finish the wall. It doesn't just happen overnight. It requires people, you know, using brawn and muscle, um, solder and brick, uh, and putting it up. And I would say... Hey, if you're willing to devote some of your time, especially the single able-bodied men and women who are coming across the border, take a piece of the wall. You can actually put your name on it when you're (laughs) finished. You know, built by Jose Rivera of Peru. And let's finish the wall that way. Well, I have a. I, I, and then we let you in. Well, let me. I, I'd like to talk for a moment about why the wall doesn't get built. But I think you're onto something here. I have an even better idea. And that is to put recent asylee applicants. You say you you want to be safe here. Well, part of being safe here is protecting our country. Make them border officers at the wall. You say you got to. We'll let you in, but you can't let any more if your launchmen come in without you know whatever. But here's the problem with the wall. I don't think a lot of a lot of people. I think I think WABC listeners understand this. There are a lot of areas that the wall would go on the border that are on private property. There are a lot of areas on the border that are the, there are a good portion of the Mexican line is water. And so if you want to put it on the U.S. side, which you've got to do, you can't make the Mexicans put it up. You've got to put it on private. A lot of it is on protected lands, on lands. That, that's why that whole that thing that was in the New York Post the other day, they built wall on protected lands. And as part of the – there was a lawsuit that said, wait a minute, you got to let animals come and go or whatever the heck was going on. And so we had to open a door, literally a door. So there's lots of reasons why you can't do it. But solving all of these problems, and we talk about this on the weekends, solving all of these problems are doable. If you want to let um, let people work, the reason they don't work in the first six months, people say, well, why the first 180 days, why can't they work? Where did that come from? It's because when they created the new asylum program in the 1940s and 50s, they said, we don't want people coming here just for work, so we're not going to let them work at the beginning. But now the beginning is four years. They have a four-year right. waiting well, period. Well, how about this? Uh, the Yankees this year suck. The Mets suck. How about we take the Venezuelans, 40% of the migrants are Venezuelans, the ones in Rikers Island, the tent. There are baseball fields right there. Yeah. Cohen sends his scouts. Cashman sends, well, he, he won't be GM for long. But That's Steinbrenner true. says his scouts, and we give them tryouts. Because if there's one thing we know about Venezuela, they love baseball, and they're good at baseball. Just start a baseball league out there. Well, tryouts in order for them to work their way through the Florida circuit. You know, that's the lowest level of the minor leagues. Get a major league contract. You don't have to do what El Duque did, go through shark-infested waters when he left Cuba, and we never knew how old El Duque was. You sign him up right there. We can ask Katz Matias, maybe we can have the tryouts out at the stadium on Staten Island. That's right, Ferry Hawk Stadium, the Staten Island University Hospital Ferry Hawk Stadium. 
Look, this is a way to remedy a bad situation with our baseball teams because one thing that Venezuela does extraordinarily well, like in Cuba, is play baseball. Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, they love baseball. They play baseball. You look at the rosters of our major league teams, without them, there'd be no baseball. No baseball. Problem solved. I got it. We came together. We 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 came to a conclusion. We resolved it. Left versus right. We had a little bit of an hors d'oeuvre. You got to sample it. Remember, you want to check out Anthony Saturdays. He takes on all Trumpers. If you can't join him live from two to three, check in on the podcast. Then three to four. It's a lot of mayoral stuff because he could have been a great mayor if he didn't implode, and we wouldn't have had De Blasio. And then it's left versus right as I jump into the ring and we discuss a whole buffet worth of issues. It's three hours. Hours of talk radio you don't want to miss exclusively here on WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Sounds like the temptations. Anyway. The big tunnel, the Towers Foundation walk run is coming up on Sunday, September 24th. It's right around the corner. And all of us here at WABC are encouraging our loyal listeners to donate to our individual teams. Get a pad and a pen. You can write the information down. You can go to wabcradio.com slash walk and click on... Well, my team, uh, Anthony, is represented by my wife, Nancy, me, and my oldest son, Anthony. So you can see our picture up there. The picture isn't up there. Anyway, you'll see uh, a sort of a, what can we call that, a uh, image of Curtis Lee in the red beret and the red sateen jacket. Click on my picture to donate. Please help me raise the most money here at the station for the amazing Tunnel the Towers Foundation Walk and Run. Let's never forget those that help America's heroes. And the Tunnel to Towers is near and dear to me and everybody here. Let's raise some dough, please, for our veterans, for our first responders and 9-11 victims. WABCradio.com slash walk. Click on my picture. And that reminds me, you, Anthony, and Vito Fisella and Chuck Schumer and I were at the first Tunnel to Tower runs. And it was interesting because I would give a speech that would say, this is right after the attack of 9-11, let's take those terrorists, put them in the Paradise Express, and zoom them up to Allah's side. So the organizer comes up to me and goes, you know, we have a chance to be on CBS Channel 2. Curtis, you can't say that. And then you were giving speeches, and Vito Fisella, and then Chuck Schumer came up, and one day, one of them... He, he he actually charged me. He said, you call me Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, huh? I'm the U.S. Senator. He went absolutely out of his mind. I have an ability to get under people's skin, yeah, as you I, I, I think you do, and you don't seem to hide from it. By the way, you, you, you know, when you run that race and you realize that it was that it was named for a firefighter who, who, ran, it, Schiller, yeah. who ran it in his full 40 pounds of gear. The bunker gear. You know, you don't realize this. Maybe I should because I'm an idiot. You know, tunnels, that's the longest. I think it's the longest in continental America, the the, the, the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. 
it goes down, yep. and you, and then it goes up. It, you would think it wouldn't have a hill, but you really you wind up running a little bit of a hill. And I'm here complaining when actually guys were doing it in their full in their full gear. But yes, Curtis, you do get under people's skin. And uh, I remember you and I were both working together at New York One during doing our little segments, and you got banned for like banned five. Uh, <laughs> it was five weeks, and I sucked it up. I was humble, and I was back on the attack. You were with the wise guys. You were with Koch, right. D'Amato, and Anthony Weiner. And now you're not there, and I'm not there. And I got to tell you, a lot of people say it was a hell of a lot better when we were there because we definitely stirred it up at New York 1. You never knew what was going to come out of your mouth or my mouth. Two Brooklyn guys as we take you the rest of the way for the Brooklyn guy who will be back tomorrow, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively here on WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. From my friends. 77 WABC. I'm feeling that Florida thing near the Panhandle, Pensacola, Top Gun. The Navy flight guys, as they go through their maneuvers. But let's face it, uh, when you grow up in this northeast sector like we have, you think of Florida, you think of the east coast, south of Port St. Lucie, your favorite place, Anthony Weiner, Met Training Camp, down to where it used to be my favorite place, Fort Lauderdale, when it was the Yankee Training Camp, uh, the Yankees of old in the 60s, and now it's up in Tampa. Tampa, that's where the Yankee compound is. But most people from our neck of the woods, they go south, Orlando and south. They don't really. Broward, Dade, particularly, you know, my folks. Yeah. Right. And then increasingly over to the West Coast, Naples, Fort Myers. Now, Fort Myers and that Will County, they got wiped out in the last hurricane that was months ago. They came off the Gulf of Mexico and just smashed and did a lot of damage. And that area is still recovering. Uh, at that point, uh, then President Joe Biden visited the area and he was side by side with Governor DeSantis and his people and they were very amiable to one another. It wasn't quite the love fest that existed in the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy. Remember when Chris Christie was bear hugging with Barack Obama? I don't know how Barack dealt with it because Chris Christie did not take that fleece uh, jacket sweater off at any point uh, in that ordeal. But uh, this time around, after this second hurricane smashed through the northern part of Florida, doing a lot of damage, and then into Georgia and South Carolina until it petered out uh, over the Atlantic, DeSantis chose not to be present when Air Force One landed. And the president was there with a number of staff members that he wanted. And I think Senator Scott was there. I think, I don't know if at the airport, but Senator Scott was with Biden during this trip. I, I, I didn't for the life of me understand what that maneuver was. Even the president commented on it and said, well, I guess because he's in the Republican primary now, he doesn't want to be seen with me. But you're still the governor of the state of Florida. We, we, have, we have some traditions, and one of them is that when, the, when you have a natural emergency, whoever the president and whoever the local elected officials are, 
they stand shoulder to shoulder and say, we're going to pull together. And until the backlash against Christie hugging Obama became an issue in, I guess, campaign 2016, right? It was an issue until then. It was never even a question. It wasn't even all that notable. You know, you would do it because people were pulling together. DeSantis, I guess, made the decision. We talked a little bit about this on Saturday, made the decision that just being next to Joe Biden is a bad idea. My, I think if I was giving him political advice, I would say two things. One, you being there highlights that you are a really good governor of Florida. Or at least that's the book on you. And two, it shows you as this active young guy next to whatever, next to Joe Biden, who is not those things. So I think it was a mistake on his part. I think it's a missed opportunity. But it does tell me something I'm starting to learn about DeSantis. He's a little bit of he's he's risk averse. He doesn't I don't think he I don't think he he doesn't show me that he's the confidence in his own judgment and his own ability to just do what he thinks is the right thing to do. I think he should have shown up and said, listen, even if he says this in front of the president, you know, president, you and I disagree on a lot. But we agree we have to let the, the people of Florida need all the help they can get getting back on their feet. And that's why we're here. I don't think it hurts him one bit in a Republican primary, but I'll admit I don't know that that group as well as, no, as other no. people. No, no, look, there's nobody out there that's going to say he's in a photo op with the president who is delivering badly needed federal funds, especially through FEMA. No state on its own can recover from these kinds of horrific natural disasters that a hurricane does. Florida is a perfect example of that. Didn't matter who the governor was over the years. It didn't matter who was the president. There hasn't been any governor any time in Florida who, on his own, could fund the uh, rehabilitation, the recovery of an area smashed by a hurricane. That's why when Bush 43 showed up, hey, you know, you make nice to the president because they're human beings, too. And sometimes they can grease the wheel and get things moving a hell of a lot faster if they say, you know, his staff and him, not really a bad guy. You know, it's not my cup of tea ideologically, but let's see what we can do. Right. And if you want to build a highway in this country, you need Congress to appropriate it. You need a law passed and everything else. If you want to, if you want to create a, we want to hire new police officers. The FEMA part of it is one of the few instances where the law is written since it's an emergency to give the president authority to declare something an emergency and then to allocate money quickly. So it's also good business. But, but Curtis, you and I are not typical of the Republican primary craziness that's going on now. Even just being in a photograph with Joe Biden I don't might so. be something Look, that gets the, that gets that. Base I'm, I'm fired surrounded up. by Trumpers all the time. They know I'm uh, never Trumper. They know that I'm, uh, you know, I vacillate when it comes to Trump. I've had a love hate relationship with him over 30 years. Obviously, if he were running again, I would consider him. Uh, I'd want him to debate. You know, I believe in debates. I don't like the fact that neither of the leading candidates seems to have a desire to debate. I look back and I say, you know, Trump, when you came down the escalator, Trump Tower to announce you were running, I think you were at 3%. If you weren't on that initial stage with 17, let's say the Bush family used, point, yeah. used its collective muscle, which they had at that time, to say, hey, we want to pave our way for Jeb. We don't want... This guy who is like a loose cannon on that stage, maybe they would have tried to eliminate you. I have no idea. But you really excelled in those debates. 
You wiped the floor with everybody. That's how you all of a sudden climbed. You ascended the ladder because America had a chance to see you against the other candidates. Likewise with Biden, he was miserable in the debates in many instances. He did horribly in Iowa, horribly in New Hampshire. But poll after poll kept saying to the DNC, only guy out here who has a chance right. against the sitting president, Donald Trump, is Joe Biden. So it didn't matter if you were good in the debates, if you were funny, if you were witty. They still were going to go with Joe Biden. And then, and then there's all this political conventional wisdom that, oh, Donald Trump could only hurt himself by being in the debate. If you look at the polls after the debate of what voter, who they're willing to consider and how it went up for some people – it went up for all of the candidates on the stage, even though guys that were minor candidates, people said from 1% to 2%, they're willing to consider the guy because they got a chance to see them. So it was all of the other candidates grew in stature and Trump states, uh, um, uh, uh, Trump's, and, and if Trump you look at, if you look at the debates, Anthony, I, I thought that Scott, Senator Scott of South Carolina had a miserable debate. This guy took three minutes to answer a question to get to the heart of the question. He wasn't good, but then again, Vice President Harris now wasn't good in Detroit. Remember the lady in white from Hawaii? She looked like Kill Bill. She came in with that samurai sword. She sliced her and diced her. Remember, it was Harris who called Biden a racist. Well, up I was going to say that Joe Biden took a well, didn't take a chance. Joe Biden was a terrible debater. But I, I have to, you know, this is we're getting a little bit off on a, on a tangent here. But Joe Biden is not going to debate Donald Trump now. Because he's going to say Biden, Joe Trump himself didn't debate. Why should I debate? No, understood. But it should be a mandatory. Uh, I agree. And I, the other thing, and I, this is something I don't think that people fully understand, is that part of it is not so much the words you say. It's the willingness that you have to stand on a stage and say, listen, I'm going to RFK Jr., if you can't handle some wackadoo anti-vaxxer who's getting 6%, you're not ready to be president. Donald Trump, if you can't handle um, – Chris Christie sniping at you, then you're not ready to be oh, president. He'll, he'll love it. He'll, he loves By that. The, that's the other thing. Trump, for whatever you think, that debate would have been 45 minutes of Trump rambling on and the other one snapping at his heels. And he, he would have done fine. He would have been uh, just constantly snapping. His problem, if uh, Biden somehow survives the process and goes on to represent the DNC, which I believe he will, is that when Trump gets on a stage with Joe Biden, he doesn't let Biden talk. He just tries to overwhelm him. He's like a combination of Mike Tyson and Jake LaMotta. He charges out of the corner. He just keeps throwing blows. I think the strategy with Biden, you let Biden be Biden. Eventually, he hits a few speed bumps, a few faux pas. He talks himself into the corner. But Trump is never going to, that's not him. You're never going to make Mike Tyson into a guy who throws jabs, nor Jake LaMotta. They charge forward. But in this particular case of Florida, to me, this is a major mistake. This is the third largest state in the nation now population-wise. There's only two states that are really prosperous now because of the tax revenues, because of all the migration in Texas and Florida. They're like Boku money. And remember, they're low-tax states. So people still, with two hurricanes that have smashed into Florida, with flood insurance almost impossible to get, yeah, almost impossible, uh, property insurance skyrocketing, even car insurance skyrocketing. It's congested now. People are flooding down there. You, I still talk to people in this area. 
They say, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of leaving. And I say, where? Florida, Florida, yeah, Florida. Yeah. Uh, some South Carolina, North Carolina. But generally, it's Florida, Florida. And that is going to continue on. And I think DeSantis, he looks good in these hurricane emergencies. He doesn't have too many people behind him. You know, like I look at Eric Adams when he does a press conference. It's a sea of zombies behind them. They're all staring forward. It's like, what is the purpose of all these yeah. people? I mean, a couple of interesting things about Florida. You know, when you're a New York politician and you get some prominence and you're supporting a presidential candidate, they send you to Florida to campaign. They yes. don't say they don't care about you in New York and they don't want you in, in Ohio. Even though once when I was I was going to uh, uh, it was during the courtship of me and me and whom and I went out to campaign and volunteer in Iowa for Hillary, and we were doing phone banking to Brooklyn, Iowa. So I got a chance. Hey, if it's Anthony from Brooklyn, I want to encourage you to go out. And I got through about 30 calls until finally someone said, oh, yeah, what high school do you go to? And I'm like, ah, Brooklyn Tech? Because where is that? <laughs> and I'm like, Brooklyn, New York. And I, the person got very offended that I was pretending to be from Brooklyn, Iowa. But you know the, the But at least you got thirty people to answer your calls. You I even know now when you work a phone bank in a place like New York and New Jersey, you get clicks. Yeah, except in Iowa and New Hampshire's a little bit like this too. Oh, they, they it's like a cult. like they love the idea that all the candidates are right. there. And every once in a while you'll get a you'll get someone on the phone says, Oh, if Hillary wants my vote, she knows where to find me. I'm over here on one, two, three Mockingbird Lane. Like they expect all and these candidates to really be there. It really forces you to put your head down and go campaign. You can't run campaigns in Iowa, New Hampshire from an ivory tower. You got to get Look, out I, there. I hate Iowa. I was constantly jamming up Hillary, and I was a big Hillary supporter. And I think it's overblown. And they couldn't even count the votes last time. Well, this caucus system is bizarre. I was in Iowa. I was organizing the Guardian Angels in Davenport. Barack Obama was in a nearby gymnasium. He had seven thousand. I was in the library not far away. I had about 170. Joe Biden, remember, was running in that primary. Was on, yeah. He was down the road at a Rotarian club meeting. He had seven. Yeah. And everyone else was in Davenport at the same time, <laughs> all the other candidates. It was amazing because you knew right then and there, Barack had something. Now, the argument was they bust in a lot of people from Illinois because Illinois right. is right next to Iowa yeah. to vote because it's the caucusoids. Nobody's vetting you. Nobody's counting. It's like it's chaos. The, and the, Henny pulled that out. The caucus was crazy. And remember the the the, the polls came out. There's one very important one. The um the Iowa Register, I think it's called the the Iowa Des Moines Des Moines, the Des Moines Register right. comes out. And it comes out the the week before the caucuses. The caucuses are on Saturday because they're anti-Semites there in Iowa. And it showed it showed Obama won, Edwards two, Hillary three. And w for days it was all about how crazy the poll is. No, it's just Iowa. The, anyway, Iowa's going to be much less of a thing. DeSantis is still going to have some advantages because Florida. He's going to he has a good argument to make. I ran I re, I run a big state. I. Re, but DeSantis, one thing, and, they, and the Wall Street Journal poll just came out that hadn't been taken since April, and it shows that he has plummeted with all the indictments going on to Trump. Trump has taken off, and DeSantis has taken the biggest hit. DeSantis is too, I, he, you know, he he stands up during this um, during this recent uh, emergency down there, and he says, "And if you loot, we're shooting." And everyone loved the line, and then people realized no one's looting anything. What are you even talking about? It's just this t t canned tested line that makes him seem like a tough guy. What would have made him seem bigger, I think, 
is to stand next to Joe Biden and say, listen, I disagree with Joe with a lot of things. And if I were DeSantis, I would say I want to walk with Joe Biden. To By show the way, <laughs> that reminds me, since the emphasis uh, now for the Republicans is the Caucasoid caucuses, the Democrats act like Iowa doesn't exist anymore. Believe it or not, I was in Fort Dodge with the Guardian Angels to see Rudy when he was campaigning. A violent snowstorm where all the roads were iced, 18-wheel tractor trailers running off the, the road, jackknifing. I made it to Fort jo- Dodge with the Guardian Angels at Davenport, barely. Rudy made it. There were four people, four people in the audience because it was a freaking snowstorm outside, ice everywhere. But that's what they expect in Iowa. They come snow, wind, rain, whatever, inclement weather, that you're going to eat pork products and drink ethanol. Remember when McCain said, I'm skipping Iowa. I'm not promoting ethanol because I don't believe in that stuff. But they would tell you, if you go to Iowa, you eat pork. Poor Joe Lieberman had a tough time there. And you drink ethanol. And then the moment you leave Iowa, you forget the pork and you forget (laughs) ethanol. It's as if it doesn't even exist. Anyway, up next, we've got to discuss the sanctuary state of New Jersey. They're so proud, Anthony. But they don't want to take one migrant from New York. Not Fulop in Jersey City, not Raj Baraka in Newark, and not Murphy in Trenton. They're a sanctuary city that claims they can't take care of the migrants. What happened to the brotherhood in the in the Democratic Party? You know, you scratch my belly, I scratch yours. I guess it ends at the Hudson River on your place to be, Anthony Weiner. He's 59 today. Happy birthday. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, when we're finished today, I'm off to the West Indian Day Parade with the Guardian Angels, as I am every year. We got boots on the ground. We're keeping it live and local. That's why WABC is the number one station in the nation. Friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Bring it. God, bubblegum music. Come on, Matt Meany. Will Smith. After Chris Rock just slept six miles in the mud at Burning Man to escape. After getting smacked out by Will Smith and getting surrounded by all white people. Notice, I think Chris Rock was the only black person at Burning Rock. Burning Man. I don't, uh, can Burning I, Man, can I, Burning Rock, whatever the hell. You said that there's no, there's nothing but social media coming out. Do they have access to phones and everything no, there? Or not? Because there. I also saw some video of, like, campers lined up to get out of there in the mud. I don't know. But, you know, I have a theory about, you know, we, we heard earlier from Noam and during the news break about how this electric light festival, or whatever it's called, got canceled out of Randall's Island because they described it as a supply chain problem. And I don't know. Yeah, they blame Buttigieg. Right. I don't understand this because they go from place to place and they set up. It's like a traveling circus. You know what I think it probably was? Some union beef. Could have been. You know what? That they, that they just said where we have different rules here or we're not going to set it up or a holiday weekend or something 
something's very suspicious about this. That you know, we because we, we put on festivals and shows and everything else in New York. Where it's we're not new at this. To find out that a festival out on Randall's Island didn't happen because of supply chain sounds yeah, very well, suspicious to one, me. Local one of the stage hand workers, they're always uh, con- constructing stages. It may well have been a... Like, doesn't it make more sense to you, Curtis, that there was some kind of a, a labor yeah, beef or yeah, something? Yeah, because they had a problem also on Saturday, Electric Zoo opening up two hours late. And then last night... They claimed they were at capacity, which I can understand because here you stiffed all these people days one and half of the second day. And these kids, mostly white kids who are into EDM, which I'm into, uh, I mean, mollied up. They're on ecstasy. They're dropping acid. Bum rushed the gate, knocked some of the cops over. There were some NYPD guys in there and just rushed in. And well, said, that, And that's the other question. So when you're setting up for an EDM concert, it's a big picnic table with with turntables on it. It's not like you're setting up for... I thought you were going to say it's a big table with Molly Ecstasy and Acid, because <laughs> that's what it's saying. They deal it openly. No, you guys, you EDM guys, like your idea of going to a show is you're standing in front of a DJ up on a big stage just with turntable with electronics in front oh, of it. It's, it's not it's, like... It's, it's a whole performance. There's a light no, show. No, I'm just saying logistically yeah. you're not setting up a 22-piece drum set for no. Neil Peart of no, Rush or something like that. you're like a whirling dervish. But it is all the DJ. The focus is a DJ. It's not uh, ancillary performance. But I'll tell you this much. I, uh, I cannot understand why you would want to call yourself a sanctuary state or a sanctuary city if you don't even want to accept one migrant. So... Let's look at New Jersey. After negotiating for months, the Biden administration came up with 11 federal locations, federal land, that Eric Adams could end up sending the migrants on buses. So last week, they announced that Fort Dix was one of those locations. Fort Dix is about 16 miles from Trenton. It's uh, part of a military base now, not what it used to be. I mean, right be. Right in the middle of the Vietnam War, they actually right. had a simulated Viet- Vietnamese village there. Uh, the men would get processed there, and the next thing, they'd be over in Vietnam. Now it's basically they train the National Guard in one half of it, and it's a prison for a lot of people who are politicians who committed crime. So Buddy Cianci, the mayor of Providence, was sent there, and then he went back and became a big talk show host in Providence. Joe Gannam, the mayor of Bridgeport, did seven years and then he went back to Fairfield, Connecticut, Bridgeport. They reelected a mayor, that crook. And then the first hip-hop mayor, Kwame Kirkpatrick from Detroit, long before Eric Adams. He had the same thing, $5,000 customized suits. He had a diamond earring. His mother was a congresswoman. I got along with her great with the Guardian Angels. When I met with him, it was like two, uh, two scorpions in a brandy glass. We did not get along. He went to jail because he was taking a vig from sludge barges. He would actually get paid for every sludge barge mm. that took sludge from the city of Detroit to a uh, to a location where they would bury it, to a landfill. And I think it was uh, Trump who pardoned him in Fort Worth. He was doing federal time, but he had done time in Fort Dix. So you say to yourself... By the way, Fort Dix, Fort Dix, it, I, I had a lot of guys who came from Fort Dix up where I was up in Devons because Fort Dix, it, very big place. And very, very loose rules, like lots of phones, lots of drugs and everything else. But every once in a while, they do a big crackdown. And then people being disciplined were sent up to Fort Devens, where I was, 
which was a medium security where they sent a lot of guys that were being disciplined. But anyway, a lot of Fortix That was in Massachusetts, Up right? in Massachusetts. But Fortix is a lot of real estate and a lot of beds and a lot of showers. Yeah, that's right. You can see. That's right by Burlington. And also, if you think that Rikers can be used, Fortix, also it's, right. it's, it's a similar type of setup. But no response last week from Murphy. None. So if you're Adams, you're going to travel the path of least resistance. So it was announced for Dix was a prime interest for the city of New York, and it was okayed by Mayorkas, uh, Homeland Security Secretary, and the Biden administration. No response from any of the politicos in, in New Jersey. I guess they assume, ah, they're well, not going to send any migrants here. For, first then, of all, right, but, but when you say sending, we don't get to send people somewhere unless we're housing no, them. No, no, This was we were going to be able to send and pay for their right, lodging. Right, there. that's the point. We, we were going to be paying for it. But no no response, not from Democrats or Republicans in Trenton, especially Murphy. So naturally, if you are Adams and you're battling constantly, remember his battle in Rockland County with Ed Day, a guy he had served with in the police department, Ed Day immediately said, I'll reach out and strangle you. You're not sending one migrant up to Rockland County. He immediately went in, got a, uh emergency order to cease and desist. Notice there hasn't been any migrants sent to Rockland County since. you got to move quickly. So naturally, if you're Eric Adams, you're at City Hall. What did Murphy say about Fort Dix? Nothing. Anybody else say anything? Nothing. So now... You announced the second location provided to you by the Biden administration. I didn't even know they had this in Atlantic City, an international airport. John Katsimatidis assured me you could land a 747, a C-4 cargo plane. That's how big that airport is. I know they got that little airport for the whales that they used to bring in, you know, to play in the casinos where they would basically treat them like kings and fleece them of every nickel, diamond, penny they had. And now all of a sudden there's an uproar. Murphy's saying, we can't afford this. Wait, you haven't taken any migrants. You're a sanctuary state with liberal progressive mayors who declare themselves to be a sanctuary city. Remember, there's no laws doing this. These are all by proclamation. Fulop in Jersey City. He wants to be the next uh, the governor, you know, because Murphy is term limited. He won't take any. Raj Baraka in Newark, he won't take any. Asbury Park. What do, you, what do you keep saying? Take any. Well, I mean, from who? What do you mean take? All they, all they would have to do to prove they're a sanctuary city is saying, "Hey, Eric, I realize you're jammed up. How about if we take a hundred? Wait a minute. We mean so you take mean, migrants a hundred migrants? You mean we we pay for it, New York City, and we put well, them in New that's, Jersey? Yeah, that's what we're doing. Because any migrant that wants to can go to New Jersey if they want. They can go to Ohio if they want. They can go to Pennsylvania. Look, they're here legally. They can move look, wherever they want. Anthony. This is all let me, about let me ask you a who question. we have to have. If you're at the Milford Plaza in Times Square, do you want to go to Camden? Do you want to go to Newark? Really? Well, the only people in hotel rooms are families right now. Well, I mean, wait, wait, let's, let's cut some not, of the not, baloney about this. Yeah the, fam- not, yeah, the shelters are for the single men and the, really? and the hotel rooms are for I, the families. I'll take, you, I'll take you to the Watson Hotel. I'll take you to the Stratford Arms Hotel. Is it hotel. nice? Is it nice? Oh, my God. It's like a dorm. They leave the, the, the doors open. They go back and forth. Of course. They're drinking it's like cerveza. A... They're smoking weed. All in all, taxpayers' expenses. Sounds like Americans. They're exactly. not smoking weed they, at they, our they, expense. They've acculturated very quickly and assimilated very quickly. Anyway. Anyway, we continue up to the 10 o'clock hour, and then a special bonus, a special two-hour edition of Anthony Weiner on his birthday. You see, you get to do two hours more 
with yours truly, <laughs> Curtis Sliwa, who'll be like an appendage on you on this a place to be. It's Labor Day just for us, though. We're the only Labor Day. And meantime, <laughs> Frank Morano saying, you yeah, my wife. Rachel said I shouldn't work today. It's a company holiday. What a Mama Luke. No Mama Luke's allowed in this studio today here at WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. All right, now you're talking. Now you're talking. About damn time. I feel like I'm at Randall's Island. I'm in front of the big stage. I'm looking to my left. They're guys and gals. They're under the influence of Molly, you can tell. I look to my right. They've been eating ecstasy. And then the DJ up on the big stage, and he's jumping up and down, and the lights are flashing, and I'm a whirling dervish. And not a single musician anywhere to be found. Nope, dancing for hours and hours and hours. And just think, you happen to be those migrants in the tents on Randall's Island. You come out, you see 60,000 young people. You come out of the tent, you're yawning like, whoa. Exactly, (laughs) and scantily clad young ladies, you're like, yeah. This is America. Yeah. So anyway, this hour is sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com or PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They do build the world's best boilers. Now, thinking of boilers, every union used to be represented in the annual Labor Day parade, which was actually on Labor Day. Much bigger than the West Indian Caribbean Day Parade because that was just in its growth stage at that point. And I remember going with my father. It was 1960, Kennedy versus Nixon. As you know, one of the closest races of all time. And Republicans were not union-averse. They would want to be at these picnics that always followed the actual parade. Every union would be there. So whether it was a national union or a local affiliate, people were proud to march. And the biggest thing, Anthony, is you had a huge crowd watching on both sides. Now they made the determination years ago not to have a Labor Day parade on Labor Day because nobody would show up, including some of the union members. So they pushed it up about a week or two. I think it'll be in uh, two weeks from now on a Saturday. I always go, I bring Anthony I'm a proud member of SAG-AFTRA, although I don't march with them. I watch from the sidelines because then you get to see all the union members. This particular Labor Day parade, if they haven't settled the strike, will definitely be a almost Broadway-like production for SAG-AFTRA because you're going to have men and women who are from theater, who are from the movies, who are from the TV business, aligned with the writers' union, who are going to be marching up you know, Fifth Avenue with a lot of pride because they've actually held out. They have not folded because, and the biggest issue, and I'm in total agreement with them, I think our union should be in solidarity. They exempted the radio division, AI, artificial intelligence. And, you know, like Frank Morano will talk about it, the other side of midnight. Most of the shows don't really touch on it. James Golden does from time to time. He actually uses an AI voice. Uh, it's almost like a replacement for himself. 
But I'm telling you, if uh, the unions that are involved in creative things, writing, film production, TV production, radio production, don't get their act together, these companies are going to use AI. And guess what? They're not going to need human beings. They're not going to need human beings. Yeah, well, I'm of two minds to this. On one hand, we constantly are hearing the worst fears about technology. And the worst things don't usually happen, but 75% of the things that we kind of say, okay, well, we dodged that bullet, but there are, there's going to be a lot of displacement. If you are someone that makes your life writing words or speaking words, all AI is, all generative AI is, it's called generative AI because it takes all the words that have been written, all the words that have been spoken, and it puts them into machine and says, let's imitate this. You know, you and I were kidding about it earlier, how sometimes it sounds like everyone has the same opinion about Donald Trump. Well, if you put hours and hours and hours of commentary about Joe Biden and Donald Trump into a uh, a, a, a series of computers, it can easily spit out a debate program where one voice is saying things about Joe Biden, one voice is saying things about Donald Trump. Now, it's not there yet. Every once in a while, I will read a sports uh, story in the New York Post. And I'll say to myself, this doesn't sound right. There's something sounds a little off about this. And I say to myself, I bet you portions of it were written by AI. There are a lot of businesses that are going to be very, now, see, very. See, you can say that now. When you were in office to say that I read the sports pages of the New York Post, you would be persona non grata. I don't know about that. But I, it's great sports. I and would, I read the I horoscope. Would, I would Every talk, day the horoscope is the best that exists. When people say boycott this paper or that paper, when people say boycott the New York Post to me because it's a conservative paper, I say, I need the sports section. I can't Absolutely. boycott Absolutely. It's the first thing you read in the morning. It's the first thing because then when you get to the current events section, you get nauseous. You get to the business section. If you have any money, you get even more nauseous. Sports is a retreat. And you know what I read first and foremost in the Post every day? The horoscope. It, I, I plan my day by the horoscope. I plan my week, my month. Now, you might say, hey, what are you doing, a little Nancy Reagan? You're damn right. Nancy warned her husband. She said, don't go to that meeting today. My astrologer on the coast says, postpone this meeting. And actually, Ron will say, I can't do that, Nancy. And look, Hinckley almost took him out. From that day forward, everything he planned was based on That's his right. astrological right. charge, which caused, remember, Regan, who was chief of staff, to resign. He goes, I can't even plan a meeting. I got to consult a freaking astrologer on no, the West Coast. That's right. And, and I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to give you, we're talking about AI. And so this is a story from the New York Post, August 29th. Okay. And listen, tell me if this sounds like a person writing this. Yes, yes. An unsung American hero has emerged at the U.S. Open. Uh, Michael Mimroth pulled off a 6-2-6-4-6 upset first round victory in front of a rowdy crowd on court 12. No, 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 no. no. The no. Russian, who seemed unprepared, had not played since the French Open in June due to, you know, and so it's like stuff like that, like the way that yeah, but a, Anthony, you a computer can, you might talk, but people you can't talk. be rowdy at a tennis match. <laughs> they don't permit it. The tennis player, you've seen it, will actually stop, will look in the stands and you know, won't won't go any further. God forbid <laughs> so you criticize the person. Ooh. So Curtis, yesterday, um, my friend Steve and his and his uh, daughter Summer, they took me and Jordan to the U.S. Open. I hadn't been to the U.S. Open in many in many years, and we didn't have great great seats. We had fine seats, but they're in the upper bowl of Arthur Ashe Stadium. You know, they don't let you sit until the changeover. 
you literally couldn't if you're a tennis player and you could see me yep. in the upper tier yep. moving around you're focusing on the ridiculous. wrong <laughs> it's just like in golf you're not permitted to, yeah. to give a cut you pay all kinds of crazy money but you're not permitted your first amendment right. rights of free speech right but then again as we get back to ai i stand in solidarity with a woman from queens fran Drescher, the nanny who graduated from Hillcrest High School, yeah. did not go to Forest Hills High School. She was zoned for Hillcrest, along with everybody loves, uh, who is that, Romano? Who everybody loves, what am I thinking of right now? Come on. Everybody I, loves Raymond. Yeah, everybody oh, loves oh. Raymond. Went there at the same time. Had a difficult life. She marries uh, a high school sweetheart. Guy. Right. They write, they create the, the image, the whole thing of the nanny is their creation. She gets horribly raped, her and a friend in a room, and her husband is hogtied and he's forced to watch. I mean, you talk devastation, and then she becomes an advocate for victims. Then she gets hit with all kinds of cancers. And cancer. She became an activist around breast cancer. A tough, tough lady. Yeah. Then her husband tells her, you know, friend, I haven't been living a truthful life with you. I'm really gay. And they break up, but they have a great relationship. And now she's leading this union. And everyone thought, ah, it ain't going to last maybe a week, maybe two weeks. When she gave that speech, and I'm a sag after member, I don't understand why they exempted radio. I would have walked with Fran Dresham. And she gave a fire and brimstone speech. And she said Netflix and the rest of these streaming services are making money hand over fist. Actors and actresses, those who are part of production who are getting bubkis and getting ugats. She says to the, to the barricades, ah, it's motivated. And then all of a sudden, Frank Morano, the mom, look, oh, we've been exempted. Yeah, I'm sure, Frank, you didn't want to hit the bricks. Well, but look, it's, I've heard people say, oh, it's hard to root for anyone here, rich people. And other rich people fighting. No, most people in the business are not. Right. Most actors, you know, will we'll try to dine out on one role for as much as they can. And what happened is in the days of Netflix and the days of the streaming services, frankly, the, the, the contract and how you divide up the money has really not held up. It's not the same as it used to be where you're in a movie, you get a residual check, and you can basically live on that if you have some success. And so, yeah, I, I think – and they've held out for a long time, and so – but it's the TV guys that are really suffering because there's a lot of, you know, the, 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 the nightly shows that we all watch rely on writers. It's a room full of 15 writers who make Stephen Colbert sound funny. So, uh, but, but, so here it is. It's Labor Day. And by the way, if you have off this weekend, thank a labor union. If you get paid time and a half for working today, thank a labor union. But there's not going to be a Labor Day parade. By the way, you mentioned something interesting in 1960. You saw Nixon. No, not Nixon. I saw JFK. You saw JFK. But New York in 1960 was a relatively close state. It was like a 53-47 state then. So it would not be uncommon for for Republicans to come campaign here. And by the way, we also have a a tradition of Republicans being very pro-union in New York. Peter King is an example of that. Yes. You know, that, that, that the path and one of the ways Republicans have won on Staten Island a very heavily union part of the city, although elects a lot of Republicans, is smart Republicans have said, you know what? Being pro-union is not being well, – that, that's not an un-Republican position. Let's go back to the roots of the American Labor Party started here. 
by Dubinsky, who represented the hat makers, and Alex Rose. Remember, they had Henry Wallace running as their presidential candidate, who had been the vice president for FDR against Truman. And then years later, they had elevated John Lindsay, who had lost the Republican nomination in his reelection try to John Markey, the state senator in Staten Island. They gave him the liberal line. He won against Mario Procaccino, who coined the phrase the limousine liberals. Yeah, that's right. I love Mario Procaccino. He had the uh, olive oil in his hair. Uh, John Markey, who is the patrician, and John Lindsay, who pretended when the Mets won in 69 to be a Met fan, and he knew nothing about baseball. And then Rudy had the liberal line of Ray Harding. I said to Rudy, the liberal in this race is David Dinkins. He said, yeah, but I need the line. Without the line, I can't be mayor. And he was right. He was mayor because of the liberal line. He didn't have the conservative line. He and Michael Long did not get along. He had the liberal line. And that's what made him a fusion candidate. Of Ray Harding. I feel like Paul Harvey here. Now (laughs) you know the rest of the story. Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. This has been a relay race from last night when I came on board, 8 o'clock, to the end of the animal welfare hour, 10 to 11. And then it was Dominic Carter in for his normal shift, 11 to 1, but the Mama Luke Frank Morano who is controlled by his wife, Rachel, with the ring to his nose, actually said, well, you know, my wife, Rachel, said that it's a company holiday and no, he's I actually, should take off. He's at table tennis camp. He's competing to be the fourth best table tennis player here at WABC. Really? Or either that or shooting craps at the Borgata like he normally is. You know, you mentioned earlier that there's an international airport in Atlantic City. You know what it takes to become an international airport? One international flight. So Stewart Air Base, upstate New York, the Iranian hostages flew back into Stewart, hmm. and that day it became Stewart International Airport as a result. The other international airport I was surprised to learn was Allentown, Pennsylvania, when Shamu El Hefe Chris Christie decided because he was a Maytag to his wife. Remember, he was on the tarmac. They were going to have a snowstorm hit. The flakes were falling. His wife turned to him and said, we are going to Orlando Disney World for a vacation. We are going there. We are not turning back. He said, Pat, you know, there's going to be a snowstorm here. I can't be off in Florida. You either come or else. And she had the ring to his nose. So he goes down there. Jersey is snowed in. You can't move any which way in the Garden State. Eventually, they had to fly him into Allentown International Airport and put the convoy of SUVs, you know, Allentown to Easton, across the bridge to Phillipsburg, up to Trenton. Guys whose wives have rings through their noses have big problems in their life, Anthony. And as a says a guy who's as had, a serial marriage, I, I, I can, say, a guy I can had speak a lot of luck that. with these relationships. I can, well, what I'd like to do in the next two hours, as we substitute for Brian Kilmeade. Let's do a little analysis of the national elections that we're going to be facing. Because as the national elections go, a lot of the local elections will be impacted, especially the congressional elections in our area, 
that really determined uh, the outcome of who would be speaker. It wasn't going to be Hakeem Jeffries because of the unexpected victories out in Long Island, including George Santos. Oh, my God. But anyway, point is, let's analyze it from the Trump side. As he, obviously, every indictment, he just gets stronger and stronger. And it seems the other candidates are exposed to political kryptonite. And then Joe Biden, it seems like they may want to run the same kind of campaign a second time in which they give limited access to the president and that abortion will be the singular issue that will drive a female vote that broke for Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump against Hillary the first time in 2016, broke against him in 2020. And I think the Democrats are banking on the fact since more women vote, women are quieter. The men in their life are bombastic. They talk a lot of trash, but they don't vote. That it's really the woman's vote that would get a Joe Biden back into the you know White what, House. But you're smarter than half the analysts on Fox News who have all these other candidates out there. You're right about the basic thing. This is Trump-Biden. That's what it's going to be. We see these polls, 70% want someone else. Tough, you're going to get these candidates. This is by far the leading Republican candidate. We we try to pump up the other guys. We give RFK Jr. all kinds of podcasts and interviews and everything else. Then Ramaswamy, it's going to be those two guys. And the one thing you know is we have a race already in the books between these two guys. So there aren't a ton of variables, but we're going to talk all about it at 10 o'clock. And you know... Anthony, I've heard uh, former President Donald Trump mention your name in a disparaging way. I don't know if we have that tape, but yeah. If he does get back <laughs> into the White House, it's going to be like Michael Corleone at the end of the oh baptism. Oh, my God. It's going to be a bloodbath. He's going to settle all scores. It's going to be a bloodbath. Anthony. I'm, uh, I know. What? Which I know. country do you want to exile yourself to? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm desperately looking up statutes of limitations. Am, no, I, no, no, am no, I still no. under the gun here? Think about it. Where do you want to be exiled to? Because he's coming for you, Anthony, and he wants the laptop. <laughs> you started this laptop thing. That's true. I was, I was laptop before Hunter. We That's right. You were it. laptop before Hunter. Then Rudy gets the laptops. Then it's laptop with Hunter Biden. It seems that this entire race is going to get back to the Hillary laptop that you had, Hunter Biden's two laptops that Giuliani ended up with. One thing we know for sure, it wasn't your cocaine in the White House, that's for sure, Anthony. But according to our audience and some of our fellow talk show hosts here, it's three things you talk about every day. Trump is God. I mean, he's the Mashiach. Joe Biden sucks. And Hunter Biden's cocaine was in the White House. That's it. You're a loser. That's a guarantee. We're not going in that direction. We're going to stimulate some of you, not below the navel, but between your ears, so that you're a free agent, so that you think, oh, there's no better song to go out to. Oh, we're together right now. Oh, this is this is my favorite EDM song. I feel like I'm still on Randall's Island and everyone is left. And I'm, I'm a whirling dervish. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious.
Precious Metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.